You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. The following program is rated TV MALSV. It contains strong language, sexual situations, violence, and nudity. It is intended only for mature audiences. get when you mix flannel shirts, loud guitars, teenage angst, and heroin. You get grunge, the sound of the 90s. But how much of it was real, and how much was complete bullshit made up by a record label in Seattle for their own amusement? The answers may astound you. And here to tell you all about it, the Spoon Man and the Rooster, a.k.a. the Retro Renegades, Corey and Mikey. And they are ready for you. So here we go. Hey there, how's it going? Welcome to yet another episode of the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power. I'm Mikey. I'm Corey. And uh, we, we missed you last week. Um, what happened? I don't remember. Retired? No. You had something going on. I don't think so. Oh no! It was Father's Day. That's right. It was Father's you Day. You were you went. I did you, have something. Yeah, you, you went to the Velisca Axe Murder House. Well, not on Father's Day. No, the day before. Did I? Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, the day before, and then you had we you did stuff with your dad on Sunday. That's right. That's correct. Yes. See, you know my, you know my schedule better than I do. Well, I stalk you when you're not around. I know you do. I don't have any other friends. So. I, I notice. I notice that you know stalking me. <laughs> I leave snacks outside my window so that... He does. Little gummies. Yeah. Leave gummies and some... some Welsh's fruit snacks. Yeah, little donuts and stuff out there. And little, little, he's got a little chair outside my window. It's comfortable. It's got a little cushion on it. You leave me an umbrella when it's raining. Yep, yep. I put the umbrella out. Yeah, leave the blinds open so he can watch. <laughs> hey, Mikey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Go to sleep, Corey! Yeah. <laughs> Corey, <laughs> the agreement was you stop quietly. Oh, sorry about that. What are you doing now? <laughs> like the fucking the dog from uh, oh, uh, hey Spike Tom Spike. and Jerry <laughs> Spike what are you doing now hey Spike what are you doing now now shut up <laughs> so yeah yeah no I uh, yeah I, so yeah that's what we did <laughs> yeah. um, I stalked him and he went and did stuff with his dad yeah I took my dad out uh, we were gonna go for um, Cajun food yeah and there's a place in Lincoln it's called Buzzard Billy's we love going there they have this dish called the uh, eggplant piro. The piro is a hollowed out canoe. So they take a eggplant and they hollow it out and they batter it and fry it. Oh, nice. And then they stuff it with seafood. But Dad and I are both allergic to shrimp. So we leave the shrimp out and we get crab meat and scallops. I and know you're allergic to shrimp. Well, that's because I still eat shrimp. Oh, so you're not highly allergic to it. It doesn't make your head swell or nothing. Like and it it makes me to where I can't breathe very well, and I get itchy. But I love shrimp. Yeah. So I still eat it. Now my dad, he gets an anaphylactic uh, reaction. Oh shit. So, but he didn't develop it until he was like thirty some years old. Oh wow. And I developed mine later in life too. Um, I actually switched allergies. 
when I was a kid, I was allergic to cranberries. And I like cranberries. Well, see, cranberry, I've only been consuming cranberries or cranberry juice for about the last oh, five years or so, four or five years. Um, so I'm no longer allergic to cranberries, but I've developed a shrimp allergy. I would much rather trade back yeah. and be able to eat shrimp. But I still eat shrimp. I just deal with it. I'll, I'll take a Benadryl. You have a shrimp allergy and you hang out with me. Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it's weird. You know how as you grow, you you know, age, you get different allergies and shit. No, I don't. You, you, you probably haven't had any allergies change, have you? I don't have any allergies. Oh, really? No. I, don't, I might. I mean... Does you anything know. make you itchy or... Just when I shave. So you're allergic to shaving. Um, or when I don't bathe. And you're allergic to dirt. <laughs> you're allergic to cheese. I'm not allergic to cheese. I did figure that one out. Well, the Fumunda cheese from when you don't bathe. Oh, yes, yeah. So you're allergic to cheese. Crotch itch. And straight from the taint. That's right. Right from the taint. <laughs> Yeah. What was that comedian's name that did that? What? Who taint? No, he was. It was uh, in the movie Waiting. He was one of the. He was one of the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, was that Louise? Uh, no, not not him. The other guy. He was like real funny. Real. He was in. Uh, Dane Cook. Dane Cook. Yeah, I looked him up to see what the hell happened to him. Yeah. He kind of still does stuff, but he's not yeah. as funny as he was because he got all his fame, and I just I just Googled him. He got all his fame from uh, MySpace. Oh, okay. And when MySpace kind of fizzled away, yeah, his career fizzled away. His brand of humor isn't in anymore. No, it's often thought of as uh, oh, not politically correct. Yeah, you know. So uh, yeah, he his his brand of comedy had to change, and apparently, he was only funny when he was crude. That's a lot of people, though. I, I know, I know. And we're going to do a show on that because there are a lot of comedians that were very crude that tried to clean up their clean, act. And it didn't work. No. But I mean, you could still be funny and be crude, but to the point where you're not going to really offend well, yeah, everybody. Where right, where you're not blatantly offensive to everyone. I mean, it's okay if you're going to offend like one or two people, but not everybody. Right. <laughs> just offend certain just, people. Just offend certain people. Yeah. Like your friends. Oh, yeah, that's funny. You can offend your friends all day. Yeah, that's funny. Shrimp dick. Um, great White Buffalo. <laughs> so. <laughs> it is a Great White Buffalo. It is. Yes. Great White Buffalo. So, what else has been going on? Anything? Um, I worked all week. Um, we kind of hung out for Father's Day. Didn't really do much just because I was broke. I'll be hanging out's cool, yeah. yeah. Spending time. I had a day where I didn't have to do any chores. Well, that's nice. But the next day I had to do them all. Had to do double chores? Yeah, I had to do double chores. Well, that's what you get for taking a day off, I guess. So, I got a question. Is is every goddamn road in this neighborhood closed? I think so, dude. <laughs> because when I was on my way here, I turned like I normally do. Mm-hmm. Road closed. I had to turn around. It's like the road wasn't even... Open to the next street. No, it's they it got it shut right down there. for stupid reasons. And so I'm like, okay, so I turned around, I went back out on the main drag, I turned it another way, road closed. I'm like, 
son of a bitch. Well, that way I could turn. So I turned. And I got up to the top of the hill here, and luckily I had to turn to come to your house because the road ahead of me was closed as well. I was like, they've got your whole damn neighborhood Oh, closed. dude, it's stupid. It sucks. But, oh, well, I made it here, and, uh, you know, that, that was a good thing. I saw something on the way here. What would you see? I'm not quite sure. There was a car pulled to the side of the road, and it looked like, you know, like a, I want to say like a, like a, a Chevette. Really? Chevette's the little one, right? Yeah. So it kind of looked like a Chevette, but it was a newer car. Not much newer, but it was a newer, you know, maybe late 80s, early 90s car. Okay. Okay. Pulled to the side of the road. And as I, you know, I, I, it was on the interstate, so I got over a lane, you know, so I wasn't right in their lane, you know, where they were pulled over, and it looked like a young man was standing alongside the road. Well, I didn't look like it. This is what it was. He was standing alongside the road, holding the door. Like, not attached to the car. Oh. Holding the door. Like it fell off while he was driving. Yes. That's amazing. So he's standing there holding the door. As I got, you know, passed by, because I was like, what the hell is that? I kind of was looking. There was no hood on the car. So you like see the motor. <laughs> and there was a, a, another young man was looking at the motor. And as I passed by, I was like, did I just see what I think I saw and I looked in my mirror and I could see off to like the ditch side the hood was laying there upside down so there was holy shit no hood on the car no door it was laying beside it and the door the passenger side door was off and the apparently the passenger was holding it and I was like what in the hell I kind of wanted to back up and go what what the hell's going on here yeah, you know, it, are you guys filming a movie? Am I am I going to am I about to be punked? Because what the hell is going on here? I don't know. So I'm just gonna make up my own story hey. and run with it. Um, it was kind of hot out, so maybe that kid, if they had to walk to get gas or something, maybe that kid knew it was gonna be hot, so he wanted to take the door along so he could roll the window down. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I could, you know, that, that, that makes a lot of well, sense. Well, outside, roll the window down where you're going to the gas station. Yeah, so you know, he wanted to take the door with him. That's probably what happened. I could see that. That checks out. Yeah, so. But yeah, that was, that was a weird thing. Um, and the other weird thing is, so the, just before I saw this little scenario, I had stopped at the gas station, which is oh, probably a good 20 miles from here. You know, 20 or so miles. Yeah. And I got some drinks. I got a couple of slices of pizza because I haven't eaten yet today and I've been up since 3 a.m. And it, I think I've done nothing but eat today. Yeah, well, I, I hadn't uh, I hadn't eaten anything yet. I was very hungry. So I got a couple of giant pieces of pizza at the truck stop and ate those on the way in. And about 20 miles later, when I got off the interstate to get on your street here to come to your house, I had to stop and get two more pieces of pizza and two donuts. You was hungry. I was Hungry. I want some donuts now. Oh, they were good. I got donuts. I, I had I had some donuts. Um, I had a cinnamon roll, actually, a, a glazed cinnamon roll. And I had a chocolate frosted long john with a maple drizzle. Oh, the ones from Casey's? Yeah. yeah I've had those. Yeah, and it had it had Bavarian cream filling. It was always it delicious. Uh, or vanilla pudding, one or the other. It's, it's all the same. Yeah, it's kind of the same. It was depends good. on where the pudding's made. If it's made in Bavaria... 
That's Bavarian. Yes. If it's made in the United States, it's, it's just vanilla. yellow pudding. Yeah, it's yellow vanilla. vanilla pudding. I don't even know if Bavaria is actually a country, but... Uh, it, 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 well, they make sauerkraut, too, so... That's German. Well, no, they make Bavarian-style sauerkraut. It's sweet. Really? It has caraway seed. Oh, I don't know, know what that is. It's sweet. It's sweet sauerkraut. I had an everything bagel today. Did it have caraway seeds on it? Uh, I, had, I don't know. I had seeds all over it. It was messy. Yeah, I... I, I, just I had, well, actually, I had two of those. Because I had one with, with cream cheese, and then, like, 30 minutes later, I was like, you know what? I'm still hungry. I want another one. So they had one with peanut butter on it. Oh, yeah. It was messy. See, I I get that everything bagel seasoning. Oh, now I want some. And that's really good. You're making yourself hungry, aren't you? I am. I just made myself hungry. Damn it. Uh, well, do you need to take a, a, a break to go get something to eat? No, I can wait. I can wait. Okay. So. I'll just sneak away while you're talking. Like you always do. Yeah. I'm sitting here talking to myself like a jackass. Did you see? I don't know if you can see the comments. You guys were doing the uh, Russian leg sweep the other day. Yeah. And I jumped on. It was everybody was on the on the online there, and you were talking about your um, your giraffe story. Oh yeah. And I was like, is Mikey rambling on about a story that goes nowhere? And Sam's like, Yep. Yep. <laughs> They were very interested in the giraffe story. If you are a new listener, I was nearly killed by a giraffe when I was about nine or ten years old, and it was my grandpa's fault. But I did tell him that I kissed that giraffe on the on the tongue. Yeah, yeah. So you tongue the giraffe. I did. Well, the giraffe tongued me. Um, but yeah, it's what happened. Yes, I told that in Russian leg sweep. Russian leg sweep is no more. So. We have changed. New things are coming. New things are coming. We are now Nerdpocalypse Wow. We should have come up with that name. Nerdpocalypse Wow. That's a great name. Well, we have a good name. We do. But uh, it's, it's very long. Ours is very long. We need to probably sh- end up shortening it one of these days. Nah. Nah, we don't. No. Nah. No. We're, we're right. fine. Nah. No. We, nah. Can, we stick out like sore thumbs. It'd be a pain in the ass to shorten it. But... Yeah, we just we wanted to expand from just talking wrestling to talking anything, anything that we're nerdy about, and wrestling is a big thing that we're all nerdy about. So yeah, we're still going to talk about it. So, but it's Nerdpocalypse. Wow. So wow. If you avoided the Russian leg sweep because you don't like wrestling, there is now less wrestling, more nerdy talk. So check it out. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about something else. Anything else we need to talk about the week? No, I think we covered everything. I think we covered everything. Yeah, I said I said I went and played with ghosts. You did. Yeah, that was fun. My daughter's been beating me up because I've been saying "Great White Buffalo" for the last twenty four hours. Yeah, I was watching the Umbrella Corporation. Okay. And in one of the scenes, there's this room. It's just that's called the Buffalo Room, and they have this mounted giant white buffalo. So every time I seen it, I'd go "Great White Buffalo," and she didn't appreciate that. She did not. After like the fur, you know, five hundred times, I said it. Well, that's good. And she started beating me up. That's her beating you up with that Chewbacca squishy mallow. Her squish mallow, yeah. Yeah. Squish, squish I, I found that for her on uh, McCarty. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's huge. The thing is big. It's giant. It's like bigger than your head. Yeah. And she hit you with it really hard. It did, and it hurt, because I had my sunglasses on my forehead. Uh-huh. And, and she, they hit the sunglasses and left me... Brain damage. Brain damage eyeball or nose marks on my forehead. Yeah, he's brain damaged now. So brain damage. We'll have to we'll have to deal with that. More brain damaged. So well, 
Let's go back to a time. I've been hitting the head a lot. I, uh, back to a time when, when I believe I got some brain damage. <laughs> um, and it's due to what we're going to talk about. We're kind of, sort of. So, when... You got brain damage, you got a lot of whiplash, probably. Well, yeah, because of your stuff. Uh, when when we think about maybe like our high school years. You know, for me, it was, for me, it was my last couple years of high school. For you, it was probably your first couple years of high school. Mm-hmm. So that put us in about oh, 92, 93, 94-ish. Yep. Uh, what kind of music were you listening to, personally? What kind of music did you... I listened to a lot of thrash metal. Okay, you I was a big metal guy. Okay. And maybe every now and then I would listen to a couple other genres of music. But, but not very many. But mainly thrash. Yeah, mainly like, maybe mainly nineties thrash. It's so like Pantera, Pantera, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Anthrax, Suicidal, Okay, uh, Sepultura, shit like that. Yeah, which all good stuff. I, I listened to a lot of that as well. Um, before that, so think late eighties, so junior high, maybe for you, elementary, elementary school, yeah. you know, middle school. What what was the music of choice then? Whatever my brother was listening to, and and so it was a mix between um, a lot of punk, okay, and original gangster rap, like the Ghetto Boys, N.W.A. Interesting, Public Enemy. I like Public Enemy. Oh, so I, I like all that stuff too. For me back then, it was hair metal. Now, my brother he wasn't in the hair metal. My cousin was okay. And so I listened to some of that because they were they were always both around me. Yeah. But my brother was more into the punk scene. Okay. He was you know he was a skater, you know he, you know fucking, anarchy in the UK type guy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the early '90s, there was this new music, this new sound coming out, and it was. Mainly based out of Seattle, it effectively killed hair metal. Oh yeah, completely. While it drew influences from punk and from metal, it kind of killed punk and metal off too, to a I, certain degree. To a certain degree, because I mean, it was like I would say towards I guess at the beginning of when all this stuff started happening. Punk and metal albums or bands were very popular. No, they were very underground. Yeah, and towards the end, because this whole scene it only lasted a few years. It seemed like it lasted a lot longer, but you're right. It but only then it gave you had about five years. In about ninety five, ninety six, is when punk started coming back and metal started coming back, and then they then they came out with this. The, the, I guess you would call it new metal. Yeah. Well, we're talking about grunge. Grunge music ruled from, you know, like ninety-two. I'd say ninety to about ninety-four. Yeah, no, well, I would I would say even ninety to ninety-six. It was, it was about a six-year stretch. Um, but you had what they called alternative music, alternative rock. And that was one that was one kind of genre, but this grunge thing it it changed everything. 
Yeah. It really changed everything, and it influenced everything. I, uh, so, when you think grunge music, you think Seattle. Yeah. You think uh, the, some of the, the the style and the fashion that you know that it uh, it influenced. So you think you know they the kind of skater ish clothing. Um, or my, as my, my dad would say, you look you look more like a bum. Well, that's pretty much what it was, yes. Uh, but it, this is the... the and I missed out on a lot of that. Because oh, I, I, where I was living. Right. You were, were you in Colorado at that yeah. point? Well, I mean, I was here in small town, and I caught it because my friends caught it. And my friends, I had friends that were... A little more worldly than just being in small town Nebraska. Yeah, they, you know, they hung out in Omaha. They hung out with people that came from California that moved here. When I was probably, oh, I would say, when I was a junior and senior for sure, mm-hmm. my friends were hanging out with people that were like in their twenties, you know, way older. Yeah. Then you know we were like. 16, 17, 18. And we're hanging out with these 20-some-year-old people. Uh, so we got a little more of a worldly, or at least nationwide view, a bigger view than just small-town Nebraska. So I was, like, right in the middle of the grunge movement. I was a grunger kid. I loved it. I was, you know, I was wearing the flannel, and I was wearing the, the you know, I don't even know what you would call them. You, like, you would... Now they're just regular, like, shorts. Like, you know, your shorts are down to your knees or mid, you know, mid-calf. Back then you didn't wear that kind of Oh, shit. they were like, they were um, almost like, like khaki. Yeah. You cut, you cut the, you, you cut, cut your khakis cut off. Cuff, yeah. And, I mean, I wear that shit now all the time. But, uh, back then you didn't do it. And, you, and the, you would wear the, 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 the striped socks or the, the tube socks with the stripes on them. Clear up to your knees. I do that now. You know, the, I, if I could find the ones with the colored stripes, I would. And combat boots, or Doc Martens, or Birkenstocks. Vans. Well, and the grunge really didn't. I mean, they, some some of them did because it was a Well, I guess that was later, because that was more of the... Yeah. Once the skaters got a hold of it. Yep. It was the Vans and the Airwalks. Yep. And not even... I was. I mean, because Converse were... The Converse was, was it gross grunge. Was it? Oh, yeah. I, I think. We, all, we wore Converse. I had a pair of fake Converse. I always got made fun of. I have fake ones. They too. were like a Walmart brand, yeah, Kmart brand. They just had the big white circle on the yeah. side, <laughs> no star. And I yeah. always got made fun of because my dad, he, he didn't want to spend money, a ton of money on clothes and shit like that. So we ended up as like, well, I want a pair of shoes. I want these. Yeah. Well, he's like, oh, you sure you want those? I'm like, yeah, we can get these. Well, because I was trying to be what my friends were wearing because like when we lived in small town Colorado. Oh sure. It was. Me, four other people, and 7,000 cowboys. Yep. And, well, I guess it wasn't that big of a town. 1,200 cowboys. Okay? And so I was trying to... I hated hated dressing like a cowboy because my dad forced me to do it. Did you have a big belt buckle? I did. I still have one, though. (laughs) Um, so I had to wear I had to wear the cowboy boots and the Wranglers and shit. You wear big belt buckles. I don't have one of the big giant ones that like covers your belly button, goes up to your chest. You know? I, I had one of those. I'll tell you a story about it. Right 
So yeah, I had my fake my fake Chuck Taylors, and I would try to wear my flannel and shit like that. And I always got in trouble because I always had to have my shirt tucked in. I always had to look nice and presentable, like I was going to a fucking meeting. Yeah. Or going to church. I always had to look like I was dress, dressing up nice to go somewhere for, with the family, even though I was going to school. Yeah. And so, yeah, I missed out a lot of shit. I mean, my style would probably be, would have been a lot different if I didn't go and I stayed here. Mm-hmm. And I would have been part of all that that change. Right. So, I I can't remember how old I was, but... I uh, I went through where you're trying to figure out what your style was, you know, and you try different things. I still do. I'm still doing that. Well, basically, the style was, you know, when 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 you were of a certain age, you know, late teen, early twenty. Yeah. Your style was whatever caught the attention of whomever you were tr- pursuing. Dude, yeah. You know, so the girls would respond to certain. So, you know, basically you were being a poser, you know? Oh, dude, we were all posers. Yeah. And so, I, like I said... I changed my entire my entire fashion sense. Oh, yeah. When I was dating this one girl. Oh, yeah. Like, I went from wearing boots and fucking, you know, just tea, uh, graphic tees and, you know, whatever jeans I was wearing to... I was Then I started getting... Uh, Fuck, I can't remember what the hell it called. I, I think I had a pair of, like, Adidas, and I was wearing nice jeans and button-up shirts, mm-hmm. and I had my face was nice and shaved. I was clean-cut, and I did not, it didn't suit me. No. I was it, a very uncomfortable. It's like, I can't even wear a suit because I get uncomfortable in them. Yeah. I was like, this doesn't feel right. And see, I don't mind wearing suits, but I do it, you know, my style. Well... At whatever point of time this was, my buddy, I don't, I, and I have no clue how he did this. I may have talked about this before. Not a clue how he pulled this off, but there was this truck that he was always talking about buying. And he would go to the car dealership on a Friday afternoon after he got off of work, drop his car off, and say, I want to borrow the truck for the weekend just, just to see what I think of it. They would... Sure, here you go. Here's the keys. It's full of gas. Take it. I don't, I still to this day don't know how he pulled this off, but he borrowed that truck like three or four weeks in a row the weekends. He was to take it out. And just, yeah, I want to take it out and just see what I think. And then he'd turn it back in and be like, I'll come back and talk to you. And then he's like, man, I'm, I'm really, I'm looking at this other truck. Can I borrow that truck again? And they're like, yeah, I'll take it. I, there's no car dealership that would do that kind of shit. Did they ever, did they ever buy it, sell to him? No, that's so fucking funny, dude. He he never bought it. To my to my recollection, he never bought it. Was this Corby? No, no, <laughs> no. Corby wouldn't do anything like that. I. Uh, but he would borrow this truck, and then he would we'd we'd go to Lincoln. We'd cruise O Street, the big dragon. Lincoln, yeah, and he would tell me, "You can't." Like the first week, he's like, "Yeah, let's go," and I just went in my shit that I wore. You know, the kind of rock and roll, punky looking grunger shit. And he's like, okay, this isn't working. You need uh, girls like cowboys. He's like, you need, you got a pair of Wranglers, don't you? I'm like, well, yeah, I, I had a pair of Wranglers because they were the cheap jeans. Yeah. They used to be cheap. And so I had a pair of Wranglers. Here they were cheap. Yeah, here Back they were in cheap. in Colorado, they were like 50 bucks. Yeah, no, they were the, they were the cheap Kmart jeans. So I had a pair. 
He's like, put those on. And he let me borrow a pair of uh, of Justin Roper boots, the lace-up cowboy boots. They yeah. were brand new. You know, that's when they first came out. Yeah, and I had a pair of those, too. He gave me a Wrangler ball cap. He's like, here, put this on. And I had like a kind of a Western-looking button-up shirt. And he's like, wear that. We're going to go out. We're going to get some girls. So then he gave me a dip of skull. Yeah. He's like, you need to chew. Cowboys chew. And I was like, okay. Well, I wasn't familiar with chewing. So he gave me this dip of skull. And we'd be driving along, and I was spitting out the window. Like, hey, girls. And at one point, I puked, yeah. But, you know, once I kind of got that down, I was spitting out the window. Well, we'd pull up, and everybody would be in the parking lot, and you'd pull up the parking lot, like, hey, come here, talk to me. And you'd sit in the truck, and they'd come up. Well, we noticed if we... So, wait, so I picture this, and I I picture... Like, you know, the, the car scenes in Fast and the Furious where everybody's hanging out? Yep. I pictured that with you, but instead of Dominic Toretto, you have Mikey Taylor. Pretty much. And it was all about family. Well, if if we could get them to approach from the driver's side, where my buddy was, things usually went okay. We get some conversation. Yeah. Until we you know, moved along. But if they approached on the passenger side... They would get so close, and then they go, oh, no, go, 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 just go. And we're like, okay, whatever. Reason being, remember, I'm a novice chewer. Yeah. Spitting out the window. Yeah, chew spit all over your face. And all down the side of this tr- this truck that he had borrowed. There was chew spit from, I was not projecting the spit out. You were just going straight down. I was just down. going straight oh, down. It was God. hitting, and then as we drove, it smeared back on the truck. There was thick chew spit because you know when you first start chewing you get that very th- it's very thick yeah it's very mucusy until you get used to it and ye- after years it's no big deal you know and like now I just gut it you know I, it, you know, it's no big deal doing spit most of the time but uh, it was all the way down the truck all the way oh the my god and they would come up and it's like it was like the, the girls would approach and then the street light would hit that just right and you'd see this m- Mucusy, skull-laden, wintergreen, boogery mess all over the side of the truck. That's amazing. And they're like, "Oh no, keep going, keep right. going, just, just, just get out of here." And it's like, okay, well, this is weird, you know. But yeah, that's so. Yeah, I, I'm very familiar with that changing of the genres. But when I was in high school, I had no game in high school, so my friends would always take all the girls I liked. I really didn't have any game either. And I was friends with the cheerleaders. For whatever reason, I don't know. But my best friend was a cheerleader. And so I hung out with the cheerleaders. And so that was kind of cool for me. But, you know, I was up on the music and the fashion. I wasn't necessarily. Well, at that time, I was in fashion because of grunge. Yeah. So where I was, you know, that kind of. I wasn't really a dirty kid. I wasn't the stinky kid. I just, I wore baggy clothes, comfortable clothes, you know, the the band t-shirts, you know, and, and a lot of the bands that we, we were going to talk about today. Uh, and stocking hats and things like that, because that's, that's another thing that Grunge had. They, you always wore a stocking hat. Yeah. You know? I did that. So, I mean, I, I, I guess... Winter, I guess summer. I, did, I, did, I guess I did dress grungy. I just never realized it. Yeah. But I had my own my own style about it 
Well, it, it was more gr- it was more metal grunge mix. Yeah, well, yeah, and I think the two kind of, you know, were together in certain aspects, like where we would wear uh, army surplus, you know, the camouflage jacket. Yeah. So that was kind of a grungy thing. Um, basically, you kind of looked like, like you said, like a bum. You know, you kind of look like a hobo. I gave a ho- I gave one of them guys that stand out the side of the road. Yeah, dude looked like he was hungry. And it was like a, it was one of those. I think it was last weekend where it was like a hundred fucking degrees outside or like oh, yeah. ten. So I ran. I went and got my wife and my daughter something to eat. I seen him sitting there. So I ran to the gas station. I was like, I'm not gonna get you this fast food shit. I ran to the gas station, got him like three big bottles of water, a couple Gatorades, and uh, I think some like. Chicken wraps, oh, yeah. fruit and shit. Very nice. I was like, here you go, bud. He's like, I appreciate that. Yeah. He goes, nobody's helped me out. Nobody's given me anything. Well, that's cool, you know. And it's something that could help. You know, and that's good to help, you know, help people out. Well, we kind of talked about the fashion. We kind of talked about, you know, the music without really talking about the music. You know, we're going to get into to grunge, kind of the impact that grunge had on us. Who was grunge? How did it get started? All that jazz. Um, so the fashion, like we said, it was flannel. It was baggy. It was kind of skater clothes. It was kind of punk clothes. It was kind of a mixture of a lot of things. It came from Seattle. And I love Seattle. Have you ever been to Seattle? Never. Seattle's cool. It's a cool town. I absolutely love it. Um, I've been to San Diego. That's about as far west coast as I've gotten. Well, that's pretty pretty far west coast. And San Diego is, is, is a cool vibe. Seattle's a little different. You know, California seems kind of fast-paced. Yeah. Seattle's laid back. Kind of like here. Kind of, yeah, kind of. It's, you know, everybody's going, going, going. There's, a lot, there's still a lot of traffic in Seattle, but everybody's going, going, going. I've been to Seattle three or four times now and just absolutely loved it every time. I... Uh, it's it's unique in the fact that it's a big city, but it's got a really mellow vibe. Uh, people are generally pretty cool. A lot of what we would consider very trendy things, and Starbucks started there. So they're very into their coffee. And I'm not a big fan of Starbucks. I think their coffee's gross. Yeah. For every Starbucks that there is in Seattle, there are ten... And there's a lot of Starbucks in Seattle. Oh, I guarantee. There's yeah. a Starbucks every block. Um, there are probably, for every one Starbucks, there are probably ten cooler coffee shops with a cooler vibe and better coffee and neater, unique things about them. You know, whether it's, hey, this place you go and they're going to have really cool music. Yeah. Well, that's, that's how Starbucks was when they started. And then exactly. they became this big corporate conglomerate. Yeah. Well, I remember when Starbucks was new around here. Yeah. And it had been in Seattle for years. Um, there there well, are... That's the thing about the Midwest, man. We like we didn't even get our first Walmart until the 90s. Right. It was... And it was... We we're so far behind on shit. Yeah. And I, I blame a lot of that on our governor and... Well... Our, it, our government and our mayor and shit like that. And it just takes so long for something to catch on Make a go of it to where it can expand this far in, because we're right in the middle of everything. Well, see, and this is when we didn't, you know, the internet was very, was just brand new. Yep. You know, like, 
I remember like buying CDs back in the day or even tapes that were like German imports. Uh-huh. And you'd spend like 80 bucks. Because you wanted that band, that hot band. Yeah. Well, so the Starbucks, there, okay, when you go to Seattle, there is the original Starbucks is still is still there. And people will stand in line to go in and get a drink or buy a coffee mug or a t-shirt from the original Starbucks. It's a tourist destination now. Oh, yeah. And I saw that line and I thought, I've, I've been by there twice in the in my travels up there. And there's always a line to get in. And I'm like, there is no way in hell I'm going to stand in that line. For a $10 cup of coffee. Yeah. For a $10 cup of coffee that I probably won't even like. Yeah. Dude, speaking of mugs, we were at work this you know, this past week. Yeah. And we went to lunch. We went to A&W. I love A&W. The one, the one down in Papillion. Yeah. Well, I'd never been there. I hadn't been to an A&W since I was a little kid. They had it up north here. Yeah. They've got the little mini mugs. Uh-huh. And they've got the big mugs for sale. Yeah. They're cheap as shit. Nice. I was going to buy some, but I only had enough money to buy lunch, so. We went to A&W one time. So we'll have to do that, like, one of these weekends. I took, I mean, we we took a ton. I mean, we had probably six or eight people with us. We went to A&W, and we were all like, oh, yeah, we're going to go get some food, because I love their chili dogs. They've got oh, that's what I had for burgers. And we're like, and we're going to get some, some root beer, maybe have a root beer float. Those bastards were out of root beer. Seriously. And we asked them, can you please change the keg on the root beer? We'll get that. And then we, Is it the one here in town? No, it was that same one out there. It's the Long John Silver's and oh yeah, and uh, and and A and W. Um, That's what I'm talking about. The one here in town. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, can you can you change the the, uh, the root beer? Yep, we'll get to it. So we sat there and waited, waited, waited. There's like six or eight of us waiting. They didn't do it. You can still hear. It. Psh, 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 psh. They don't even use the. So, they don't even use that one anymore. The, the big draw one? Yeah, because of COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah, they get it. To, they give everything to you from the back. Well, we we asked them to change it. And we sat there for like 45 minutes, all of us wanting some root beer. Was it an old lady and an old man working there? No. There's only two people. They didn't give a shit, and they they wanted us to leave. And we're like, we want some root beer. We, oh, man, we were were peeing their ass. They never changed it. How do you have an A&W with no root beer? You got bad employees. Well, yeah. I'm saying. Anyhow. uh, So, yeah, that's Starbucks. Uh, we, We got off track again. That's what we do. Honey money. <laughs> Honey money, Flint Frank. Flint Frank, toys in the past. And no, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> toy have, toy have. Come on. That's Rex from Toys in the Past. <sighs> Shit, now we know what we gotta do. Gene Simmons break. Gene Simmons break. I can't sing. I've got a long tongue, that's about it. And that was Gene Simmons. Thank you, Rex. I saw Rex the other day. Yeah, he was at wrestling. He was at, at Monday Night Raw, yeah. His first Monday Night Raw. And I asked you, how, how did he afford to go to wrestling when he still owes Gene Simmons all this money? I think he was taking a break. It, you know, I don't know. But uh, Gene Simmons will track him down. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, so Seattle, they, just a lot of cool things. Um, there are some very unique tourist spots there, like the, the Space Needle. I've never been up there. Don't care to go up there. It's it's very tall. I stood at the bottom and looked up, and I got vertigo looking up at it. Really? So there's no way in hell I'm going to take an elevator to go up really high and look down and get vertigo. I went to, uh, was it the one in Chicago? The Sears Tower? The Sears, no, not the Sears Tower, the other one. It's the big black one. I have no I don't idea know what, what that is. is. But it's like bigger than the Sears Tower. Okay. And I went on the ledge. Oh, is that the one with the glass? Yeah. Oh, there ain't no way in hell you're going to get me out there. 
Nope, 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 not me. No, I was, I was scary, dude. It was scary. Yeah, I, I, yeah. There's no way. Then the space needle spin. It, there's a restaurant at the top that rotates, and I know people that went there. They had a very nice dinner there, and the food looked great. Uh, they could bring me takeout. I don't want to go up there. Yeah, no way in hell. Because you get an Uber, eat that shit from the bottom. I would. I, I'd say just send it. Just put it in the elevator. Push the button. I when the doors open, I will take it. I'll send my credit card up and pay the bill because there's no way in hell I'm going up there to eat. You know, I, I puke. Yeah. Just because they're up so high. Um, I guess it looks really cool. I don't know. I saw pictures. There's a very cool, um, like, I don't know, it's a museum? It, it's the Experience Music Project. It's called the EMP. It's right next door to the Space Needle. And you go in there and it's all, it's like a, Kind of like a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, yeah, but for Seattle. Okay, and you can go in there. You can you can. They have instruments you can play. You can record. Yeah, you can go in there and like record a song, and it's all saved in a database. Oh, nice. So, when I went there, I played a guitar very badly, recorded it. So there is a really shitty little guitar riff in their database from me. Nice. Um, but you can like make songs like you can go listen to something and go I like that riff and go pick up a bass and play along with it and record it and, me- and merge them together oh that's cool so you can make music with people from that anybody has visited there until they clear out their database uh, then they have different displays in the basement of it they have the horror and sci-fi movie museum nice so down there at the one time that I went they had uh, like the gizmo puppet from gremlins and all these different like costumes and, and props and different things from all these horror movies and sci-fi movies. They show you how some of them were made. They had a, uh, a labyrinth uh, display there. Nice. So I got to see all of those puppets and things. It was just really cool. And then there is there, there are certain things that Seattle is known for. Uh, Sasquatch. There's a lot of Sasquatch. A lot of Sasquatch. A lot of Sasquatch up there. But then there's this thing, and I mentioned this, and you asked me, what the hell is that? It's called the gum wall. Oh, yeah, the gum wall. The gum wall is disgusting. It is exactly what it sounds like. It's uh, it's in the Pike's, uh, the Pike's Place, yeah, Pike Place Market downtown. And the Pike Place Market is like the fish market, where they throw the fish. Yeah. I've so you can that. go in the morning and watch them throw the fish, which is really cool to watch. Lots of tiny little stores, and it's like a it's a huge mall, half enclosed and half open air. And you go through the mall, and you go down this back alley, and there is the gum wall, and it is chewed up pieces of gum stuck to a brick wall. That's so gross. Like huge, like a full block of wads of gum on top of wads of gum on top of wads of gum. That have been stuck to this wall for, for years. Now, a little history on it is it's in a place called Post Alley. And it is right by the box office for the Market Theater. Which was a venue that had comedy shows and other like bands and shit like that. And they would, the, the people that would go to the theater would put their gum on the wall. Apparently gum wasn't allowed in the theater. So they'd stick it to the wall as they walked in. And some of them would put a penny in there. While they came by, they took the they took the, the pennies out. 
but the gum was still there, and they kept trying to wash it off. And then once once gum's on there, dude, it ain't never coming off. Yeah, well, they kept trying to clean it off, and then finally they're like, screw it, leave the gum, advertise that son of a bitch. Yep. So in 99, they started advertising, come see the gum wall. By the late 2000s, this thing was 50 feet long. Well, I just said it that way, because you know, if you say it any, any other way, any faster, yeah, it's gum, gum on the gum wall. It, true, yes, and we don't need that. That's that's, some, <laughs> no, that's, really, that's somewhere else. Yeah, I. Uh, <laughs> so it's probably in Reno or something. By, yeah. <laughs> by the late two thousands, this thing was fifty feet long, and it had gum as high as twenty feet. Jesus Christ! And sometimes, like people would come and just sit there and, and chew their gum, and they would make a picture out of gum. Oh wow! Uh, there were works of art there. There were pieces of gum there that were there for years. So, sometimes, if it gets warm, it kind of oozes down the wall, but then it gets cold and it solidifies again. So, you've got these really bizarre patterns and things. Uh, they've cleaned it a couple times, but still, it, I, the last time I was there, which was maybe six or eight years ago, the gum wall was still there. Oh, shit. And the city's probably got to say something about that. Like, you know, this is getting gross. In 2009, it was named one of the top five germiest tourist attractions. Would that, would that be considered one of the new seven wonders of the world? Well, maybe. Uh, it, it's, it's, second, it's the second germiest tourist attraction in the world. What's the first one? The Blarney Stone in Ireland, because everybody kisses it. Oh, yeah. I. Uh, that is... I don't know if they're doing that now. <laughs> You think I have to clean it off every time somebody kisses it? Uh, well, the, the Blarney Stone? Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, because, you know, stone is very porous. So. There's probably a wipe there. you got to wipe it yeah. before you kiss it. Yeah. Um, the governor of Seattle at the time said it was his favorite thing about Seattle that you can't find anywhere else. Uh, it's a popular site for photographs, especially wedding photographers. Gross. Um, it... It's just gross, but... It's something you have to go see. They have scrubbed it several times, and they had to scrub it because the sugar was eroding the brick away. Oh, shit. So, now they just scrub it, and they only allow gum in certain areas of the wall. Uh, people got pissed off when they tried to clean it off. It took them 130 hours to clean it. That's a lot of man hours. They removed 2,350 pounds of gum and uh, it cost about $4,000. They had to heat the gum up to 280 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy shit. And it had to be low pressure water so that it didn't erode the bricks. Yeah. So they got it all cleaned up. People started putting gum on it again. <laughs> And so they just finally said to hell with it, and they said it's an art thing. Go for it. Yeah. They, they embraced it. So, um, yeah, it's... Well, here, you can see. Here's a picture of the, of the gum wall. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah, see, it's on the windows. They, they, they've written words. And that is actually... Uh, you can still see brick. So that's one of the... The uh, clean walls. The, the more, the more uh, uh, sparsely uh, populated areas of the gum wall. 
So yeah, just one of the great things about Seattle you can go check out is a bunch of fucking chewed up gum on the wall. Did you put gum on the wall? Uh, a couple times, yes. Yeah. And I know people that have gone and swapped gum. That's even worse. Yeah, that was disgusting. Uh, they they put a piece and took a piece. Um, there was that, that, that Gino's pizza place in Chicago. Yeah. We went there and wrote our names on that wall. That's what they do. Okay. That's as far as I got for, you know, defying public property. Okay. But, yeah, so that's the cool thing about Seattle. But that's where grunge came from, Seattle. That's the kind of shit that they grew up with. There's all kinds of, of really cool places there. Some of them we will hear about as we talk about these bands. Yeah, we were talking about the gum wall so long I forgot what we were talking about. Yeah. So you can't really talk about grunge music without talking about sub-pop records. And you weren't really familiar with sub-pop records when we first I've heard of them, it. but I didn't know what it was. I've seen, like, the pictures and stuff. Yeah, but the, the little I, logo, yeah, the black yeah, and white yeah, logo. I didn't know what the hell it was. Well, Sub Pop Records was a very, very independent uh, record label where local bands could, could call them up and say, you know, they had a little studio. They'd call them up and say, hey, can I get a day's worth of recording time? And they'd go in. In a day, they might make a, a four-track EP that they could give out or they could sell at their shows or, yeah. or whatnot. Um, and they would have tapes from all over coming in trying to get on this label and just because you recorded at the studio did not mean you got on the label they were very very selective with who they would would sign on they were looking for a certain sound well they were looking for a certain sound or a certain something yeah a certain something because they're some of the people that are on the label have nothing to do with seattle uh, Reverend Horton Heat was on Sub Pop yeah. for a while. They have they're from Texas. They're rockabilly. They but they had punk sounds. Rockabilly and punk have always kind of gone hand in hand. Yep. Um, just uh, kind of an overview of some of the bands that you might have heard. Uh, Babes in Toyland. Yep. The Beach Boys released some things very like in the '90s. They they did some reissues on Sub Pop. Um. Bands like, uh, uh, I don't want to see, was Candlebox on there? Candlebox is, oh, they were, they were, oh, they were a Seattle band. I don't know if they were on that label. Yeah. Um, but, they, you know, they had, uh, Earth was, was one of the bands that were on there. The Farts. Um, these are great names. Yeah. The Fluid. The Fruit Bats. Fugazi did some stuff with, with Sub Pop. Um, Godflesh. Uh, and I'm trying to avoid some of the more the bigger bands that we're going to talk about. Um, a hole, obviously, we're on there. Hot, hot heat. Um, Jesus and Mary Chain. Um, there's a band called Knife Fights, which is a great band name. L7. I do like L7. I love L7. Uh, they were on there. Not Luke, a Seattle band though. They're they're California. They're California. Band. Uh, a band called Low that, that you probably heard. Yep. Uh, there's a band called Lubricated Goat that was on there. Yes. Isn't that a great... That's a great name. Um, Mike and the Melvins, Mogwai. Uh, we're going to talk about them. Uh, Pat Oswalt did some stuff. Pig Face. There was a band called Pissed Jeans. Um, the Postal Service. They're... A more recent uh, edition. 
the Preservation Hall Jazz Band did some stuff with Sub Pop. Um, I mean, there's just all kinds of great, great bands that Sonic Youth, Smashing Pumpkins, you know, it, the Super Suckers, which I love the Super Suckers. Uh, but they're, they're still, they're kind of an Americana, kind of a rockabilly-ish band. Yeah. They're the greatest rock and roll band in the world, if you ask them. <laughs> uh, that, well, that's, that's like their tagline. They're the greatest rock and roll band in the world. I thought that was Kiss. No, 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 no. It's the Super Suckers. Uh, the Vaselines. I mean, just, just some, some awesome, you know, bands that you've never heard of. Now, they, their claim to fame, though, is while they had some great punk bands, some great metal bands, rockabilly bands, they invented grunge. They had a certain sound that came out of Seattle. And it was due to, it rains in Seattle almost daily. Mm -hmm. I've been caught in some of those rainstorms. It sucks. It's cold. Uh, at one point, it rained for like three months straight in Seattle. It rained every day for three months. So there was kind of a dreary sound. And there was kind of just kind of a meh, you know. The, the lyrics were very uh, almost poetic, but very depressing. Yeah. And I've heard that about Seattle. It is. There's there's a lot of, of there's a lot of depressing things about Seattle because it's it's, it's gloomy. gloomy. It's just gloomy. Well, once some of these bands started recording with Sub Pop, and once some of these bands started, uh, you know, I guess, kind of getting noticed. Yeah. They wanted to know more about them. The way that that. Sub Pop got their Seattle bands noticed because Seattle, much like any town, Omaha's the same way. Yep. They don't give a shit about Omaha bands until they make it big somewhere else. So what Sub Pop did is they introduced their bands and their music to the British media. Oh, no shit. They brought some, some uh, music magazines over they brought some journalists over from England, took them to these small clubs, yeah. and said, this is a sub-pop band. And they're like, we have never heard anything like this before. And they took them and they showed them all these great bands that became the the godfathers of grunge, basically. Yep. The, 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 the initial bands. And they showed it to them. And then they said, there you are. Go write about it. So they started writing about it in England. In Great Britain, they started writing about this amazing new music coming from the Pacific Northwest. All of a sudden, it's like, holy shit, these bands that we've been seeing every Friday night, how do they know about them in Great Britain? Yeah. We better pay attention. So, once they got that notoriety, other journalists around the United States wanted to know about this Seattle sound. So, Sub Pop created grunge Grunge is a completely fabricated lifestyle. It's a completely fabricated musical genre. Everything about it. So, the one thing they did. Well, could you say that about a lot of music, though? You could. You could. But I think that grunge really took it a step further. Okay. Sub pop took it a step further. They wanted to give, basically, give their their 
area and their bands a backstory. So they said to people that had no clue what goes on in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. They would say, well, let me let us tell you about these bands. They all come from a blue-collar background. They're hard-working people. They're loggers. They're lumberjacks. What do lumberjacks wear? Flannels. Flannel. What is synonymous with grunge music? Flannels. Flannels. So, they would dress their pants like lumberjacks. So this is they were like almost like they're almost, they're almost wearing costumes. Exactly. Except they're like, you know what? We want everybody to look like normal, but you guys are going to match, but you're not. You're going to look like you worked in a factory. You're going to look like you grew up on the streets. You're going to look like you came from a low-income family. You grew up on the streets. You're wearing hand-me-downs. Wow. You're wearing flannel. They basically dressed them. I did not know that. Then, you'll love this. So Everything uh, from my childhood is now a lie. The New York Times call up Sub Pop's office and they said, we would like to talk to somebody about grunge music. Well, grunge, that was grungy. That um, was grungy. Grunge basically means dirt. Yeah. So they said, we want to talk to you about this, this Seattle sound. What do you call it? And they said, grunge. That's what we call it. It's grungy. It's grungy. It's called grunge. And they said, grunge, what a great name. And all these Tell, bands were just like, we're rock bands. They're like, whatever. They, they were just playing their music. Yeah. And so they said, we want to know a little something about grunge. The, 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 the culture of grunge. So the New York Times call, happened to call Sub Pop Records. And they, uh, they, they talked to uh, a young lady named Megan Jasper. She was 25 years old. And they said, can you tell us? Well, at first it was the UK magazine Sky and then the New York Times. Okay. They said, can you tell us, is there like some words or, or uh, a language that grunge musicians would, or, or gr the grunge culture would speak? And she said, of course, we call it grunge speak. What the fuck? And then she made up a bunch of shit and told them. And this became... Part of the legend. Oh my God! So here are some the words that appeared in the New York Times in an article about grunge. She would say, "Oh yeah, they say bloated or a big bag of bloatation. That means you're drunk. Bound and hagged. That means you're staying home on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm bound and hagged, man. A cobnobbler. I've heard of cobnobbler. That means you're a loser. I've actually probably called somebody a cobnobbler." A dish is a desirable guy. Fuzz refers to the heavy wool sweaters they would wear because it's so chilly in Seattle. Oh, my God. Harsh realm is a bummer. That's a harsh realm. If you have your kickers on, that means you're wearing heavy boots. I got my kickers on. Lame stain would be an uncool person. Plats referred to the platform shoes. Rock on. That's a happy way of saying goodbye. That's still used. That is. Score means great. You know, somebody do something like score. Swinging. Oh my God. Swinging on the flippity flop. I've never heard of this. Means you're just hanging out. Nobody else had either until this lady said it. That means you're just hanging out. The Tom Tom Club was a group of uncool outsiders, 
And your wax slacks were old ripped up jeans. <laughs> your wax slacks. <laughs> there was one term. I'm grungy today, dude. Shit. Yeah. Look at me. I got my wax slacks on. I you got my kicks kickers on. on. Yeah. So there was one term that did not make the article that they wish had, and that was tuna platter. That means a hot date. I got a tuna platter. That is that just doesn't even sound appealing. So I wouldn't call my hot date a tuna platter. Well, that was what the grungers would call it. So basically, that's how they made up the grunge movement. Oh my god! It was created as a joke. They were and it basically took off. and it took off. It caught. It, it, well, they they published it in the New York Times. Of course, people read it in the New York Times. They figured. We got this from the record label that was the birthplace of grunge. And they they are kind of proud that they made the joke. They made it, you know, it's like, you know, we did it. We, we got notoriety in both England, Great Britain. We got notoriety from the New York Times. It basically just justified everything that they were doing and it got them on the map so this speak this grunge speak that they invented it made its way into like normal talking talking normal conversations it's kind of like it's kind of like with the i guess the, the southern california surfer lingo too it's the same way yeah well it was just it was picked up by the media and it just exploded. Well, what they did with it, since this was just a big joke, mm-hmm. um, the uh, another record label, the CZ Records, they made a T-shirt that had the article on it. You know, they, they, really? Oh, and that'd be cool to that find. became a joke. Um, there was a comic book that came out in '94. It was called Harsh Realm. I've heard of that. And that turned into a television series called Harsh Realm. I don't remember the television series. Um, there was a, uh, a comic called The Dirty Pair. They used Harsh Realm in their lingo. Uh, there was a, uh, a documentary called Hype in 96 that they were talking about the grunge scene. And they included this prank. Yeah. And... There was uh, a band that we are familiar with called the X-Cops. Oh, yeah. Which is Guar out of costume, and they assumed police officer personas. Yep. And Dave Brocky had his persona was ex-patrolman Cobb Nobbler. Cobb Nobbler. That's amazing. So, so, dude, I just looked at the Harsh Realm show. Yeah. It was a sci-fi series. Okay. In 1999, and it was basically take the Matrix and mash it with Platoon, and you have the Harsh Realm show. Nice. One other thing I want to cover about Sub Pop, and then we're going to move on to some of the bands that were in the grunge movement. So Sub Pop is very uh, famous for sending out rejection letters to bands that have submitted material that did not make the cut. I want to read this yes this letter. It's uh you know it's got the letterhead from Sub Pop celebrating several years of record making. 
It starts out, Dear Loser, Thank you for sending your demo materials to SubPop for consideration. Presently, your demo package is one of a massive quantity of commendable material we receive every day at SubPop World Headquarters. And it is, due to time and volume restrictions, on its way through the great lower intestine that is the talent acquisition process. We appreciate your interest in SubPop and wish you the best in your pursuit. Kind regards. And then at the bottom, in quotation, it says, this is a form letter. This letter is also known as a rejection letter. That's great. But it is headed, Dear Loser. I don't think that would fly today, but it might. Well, you got to understand, independent records, independent music, it was uh, based on a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's jump into just a few bands. And this first one, they're notable just because they're considered the first band of the grunge era. And that's Tad. T-A-D. Tad. Yeah, they're like the godfathers of grunge. Yeah. And Tad is... Uh, I, I recently watched a little uh, documentary. There's a great little story on uh, Hulu. It's the uh, the dark side of the 90s. And I still haven't got a chance to watch it yet. I think it's episode four is all about sub pop and grunge. Okay. And Tad was one of the first bands, and they are the ones that were the prototype for the grunge look. So what they did is they dressed them all in flannel shirts. They gave them all chainsaws and made a music video. Oh, my God. So they're dancing around with chainsaws, cutting up wood, uh, basically being loggers, being lumberjacks. And they saw this... Wood goblins. Yes. It's the name of the song. Yeah. They, you know, People saw this, and it's like, that must be what grunge is. Uh, Ted, when they were on Sub Pop, it was from 1988 to 1991... They had, in the independent music circles, they had a couple hits. You know, a couple big records. The one that I remember was called Eight Way Santana. I remember listening to Tad. I do not remember much about them. But I remember it being very, very different. Very, very, uh, just new. Yeah. Uh, the album, the third album, was Eight Way Santana was named after a, a type of blotter acid that they had consumed. Really? Yes. Blotter. Blotter. And 8-Way Santana had a couple of singles. One was called Jinx. The other was called Jack Pepsi, which was released as a single until Pepsi filed a lawsuit against them. Really? You can't use the name Pepsi? Well, they had also used the Pepsi logo, but instead of the word Pepsi, it said Tad. And then there was another lawsuit filed against the cover of 8-Way Santana. And, or 8-Way Santa. I always thought it was Santana. It's 8-Way oh, Santa. 8-Way Santa. Um, because it had a picture of a man holding a woman's breast. Okay. And the couple that was in that photograph had, since you know, since the time the photograph was taken and this album was released, they had become born-again Christian. They had divorced and remarried. 
and they took exception to their image being used on this record. Did they send they sent a release? So they sued. Well, Sub Pop, instead of entertaining the lawsuit, they just changed the album cover yeah. to a shot of the band. Uh, that album cover's got to be worth some money, then. You would think, and I've seen. I remember the album cover. Uh, it's like the actual album cover to the White Album. Yes, and or the the, other, the butcher the butcher album from the Beatles, where they had the baby dolls and they were all bloody. Yeah, uh, it was very very rare. What well, wasn't the original cover for the White Album? John and Yoko laying on a bed naked. Uh, no, that is uh, Double Fantasy. Oh, yeah, uh, that's the the John Lennon uh, Yoko Ono project but Tad didn't really last through the 90s uh, in 98 they, they did break up uh, so they are known though their, their claim to fame is they were the first grunge band so let's dig into a few other bands here uh, let's go with uh, uh, Alice in Chains which is one of my favorite bands and I love Alice in Chains Yes, Alice in Chains, they were, they were a great band. And they were the heavier side of grunge. Um, yeah, they were the more metal side of grunge. And that's Alice in Chains, not to be confused, with the 1980s glam metal band Alice in Chains. Alice in, letter in, Chains. Uh, Alice in Chains, they were formed in 87 by Jerry Cantrell and Sean Kinney who are the guitarist, vocalist, and the drummer, and Jerry respectively. And Jerry Cantrell is now the singer of the band. Yes. So later they recruited bass player Mike Starr and lead vocalist Lane Staley. Now, uh, Mike Starr was replaced in 93 by Mike Inez. And uh, they later, in 2006, they did replace the vocalist, William Duvall, for reason we'll discuss here later. The real name is William Duvall? William, du William Duvall. Was Lane Staley's actual name? No. No, that's Lane Staley's replacement. Oh. Um, so, the band Alice N. Chains was actually Lane Staley's previous group. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So they just added an I. Now, they're associated with grunge music, but they did have a lot of heavy metal elements yeah. to the band. Uh very distinctive vocal style, which they would have harmonized vocals between Staley and Cantrell. And my my thing always, and I think this is something that I identify with grunge music, is the use of, I don't know, the word, the phrase, the vocalization. Yeah. Yeah. And each band had their own way of saying it. And uh, I think that Alice in Chains is the most notable. Yeah. I agree. Well, that and I'd say James Hetfield. That it was a little, yeah, he had more of a metal. Yeah. 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 That was a good James Hetfield. That, that was good. That was very good. So they had great success. His was more, yeah. 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 Yep. 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 Yep
And then later on with the uh, uh, EP Jar of Flies and Alice in Chains. They're self-titled. I do like Jar of Flies. So many great, great songs. And just, I mean, almost a soundtrack for the 90s. Um, Of course, they had, you know, the lead single, uh, We Die Young, which was also their promotional EP. And That's that, a great song. Uh, they had... Uh, we have a great soundtrack on this episode. Sea of, <laughs> sea of Sorrow. Another good one. And, of course, Man in the Box. Which is their big hit. That's their breakout hit, I believe. And they started you know, gaining notoriety. They started gaining some traction. And... Sammy Hagar actually invited the band to open for Van Halen after he saw the music video for Man in the Box. Really? Yeah. They, I mean, that went crazy. They ended up in 91 joining the Clash of the Titans tour with Anthrax, Megadeth, and Slayer. So the metal audience got introduced to them, and the metal audience loved it. Hated them. I lo- really? Yes, they got very poor reception. No shit. They did. They, I mean, they had more of a metal sound than they did a grunge sound. Yeah, it it was. It was more of a metal sound, but it had something distinctly different. Something distinctly Seattle about them. Yeah. Uh, the the gloominess of that Seattle sound. They were, uh, they were actually nominated for best hard rock performance. In the Grammys in 92 for Man in the Box, but they lost to Van Halen because Van Halen had about for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's a good album, though. It is. I mean, it's not their greatest album, and they probably shouldn't have become, you know, best hard rock band of that year, but because um, I never really considered Van Halen hard rock. No. Well, Alice in Chains came out just as grunge was taking off. So they tried to cash in on some of that. And their problem was they decided to do an acoustic EP. And that EP... Oh, I love that album. It didn't... Well, it's not the Unplugged. Oh, it's not the Unplugged? No, it's just just this acoustic EP that didn't really take off. But then they decided that they would release an EP called Sap that was more grungy sounding. Yeah. They piggybacked it off of this little album called Nevermind by Nirvana. That's when they really took off. And they kind of started gaining steam. They became part of that that movement of grunge. So that's how we know Alice in Chains. They came out with Dirt, Mm -hmm. which featured the song Wood, featured Angry Chair, Them Bones, Down in a Hole, and probably their biggest hit, Rooster. Yep. Dude, you know who was really big, real big into the grunge scene? And, you know, you know, I I think we've probably talked about him before. He's a friend of mine, Justin. Oh, yeah. Justin was huge into the grunge scene. He always tried to get me to... To go that direction. Like, dude, he even had the Soundgarden fork. Oh, wow. Like, he made one, and he had the necklace and everything. Yeah. 
super big into the grunge scene. Oh yeah, I mean everybody. I mean, we. I was always was. behind the times, man. Well, after after uh, uh, that album, uh, Dirt came out. They were invited to open for Ozzy Osbourne on the No More Tours tour. And just before that tour began, Lane Staley broke his foot in an ATV accident, forcing him to use crutches on stage and sit during the performance. I vividly remember this. I remember this, too. Uh, the band went through a couple lineup changes uh, after that. Um, that's when Mike Starr left. That's when Ozzy's bass player, Mike Inez, stepped in. And they, I mean, they went to the moon. These guys could have been huge. They recorded What the Hell Have I for the Last Action Hero soundtrack. Oh, yeah. They joined in on the Lollapalooza Festival. And this was their last tour with, with Lane Staley. Um, after that, they came out with Jar of Flies. And Jar of Flies got their first number one single called No Excuses. They had that great uh, Unplugged album, which I love their Unplugged album, like you said. Yeah, I mean, I, almost every band who did Unplugged, actually, they came, they was really good. There was a, there was a lot of Unplugged albums. Oh, there was a ton. All, everybody did an Unplugged album. It was a huge thing on MTV. So after they released Jar of Flies, Lane Staley went to rehab because he was addicted to heroin. Which, heroin will play a big role in grunge music. So, the band was supposed to tour in 94 with Metallica, Suicidal Tendencies, Danzig, and Fight. And I believe Fight was Rob Halford's band. Yeah, dude, I love that band. That was when he quit the band. He started Fight. Yes. And they were just straight, just thrash. Yes. But with a new, with with that deeper bass sound. Yeah, it was a great, oh, great I love band. Fight. People make fun of me because I like that band. No, Rob Halford's awesome. I'm like, dude, I, I, seen, I, seen them, I seen them at the Ranch Bowl. Oh, wow. And it was amazing. The, the bass player, um, fuck, what's his name? JJ. Just a little guy, you know, this big, long beard, this long hair. Yeah? And he come out, and he's sitting there fucking playing bass, and he jumped into the fucking pit oh, wow. at the Ranch Bowl. And this is a little tiny club. Yeah. I mean, it's no bigger than, like, your local dive bar. Yeah, the ranch was awesome. And he's sitting there, he's getting in the pit with all the fucking fans and everything, and he's moshing with everybody, and then he ends up getting back on stage, and it was a fucking great show. And I think I was 14 when I was at that show. Wow. And who opened, uh, I think Fishbone opened up for them. Oh, that'd be great. Fishbone's awesome, too. Dude, that was like the highlight of my day, and I got kicked in the throat by fish. <laughs> they came out in trash bags. Nice. They were wearing trash bags. Well... Alice in Chains also had a slot on Woodstock 94, but while they were rehearsing to go on this tour and do these dates, Lane Staley started using heroin again, so the other band members decided to cancel the tour and all the dates one day before that tour was supposed to start, and they put the band on hiatus. They were replaced on that tour by Candlebox, and they said that, you know, they had a health issue. The band broke up for six months. They couldn't get along. They did not want the band to, you know, like basically implode on stage. Yeah. So they just stopped. Um, after that, they put out the Alice in Chains album, which wasn't as big a hit, 
But it did have Heaven Beside You on it. Yeah. Which was amazing. Um, but Jerry Control was singing more lead vocals because of Lane Staley. Now, they never really officially broke up. But they did have to really, you know, kind of tone it down. They really had to shut down for a while. Because uh, in uh, 2002, I believe it was. In, in 2002, April 19, 2002, Lane Staley was found dead in his condominium in Seattle. He had died of a mixture of heroin and cocaine, known as a speedball. Ugh. He had died two weeks before his body was found. And the story that I always heard was he had a monitor lizard that had been feeding on him. Don't know if that was true or not. That's the rumor that I always heard. Nothing about it in the information I have here. But Mike Starr was the last person to ever see Lane Staley alive, and he did not call 911 when he saw his condition. So he always kind of felt guilty, guilty about that. About it. Um, Mike Inez joined the band Heart. Really? So that's kind of a different direction direction for him. Uh, Jerry Cantrell started his solo tour. Also collaborated with bands such as Heart, Ozzy Osbourne, Damage Plan. He played with Damage Plan. I think he played with Anth or he played with Anthrax. He um, he formed a band called the Cardboard Vampires, along with uh, members of the Cult and uh, former Motley Crue vocalist uh, John Karabi. Oh, so this band was terrible. Uh, it might have been all right. John Karabi sucked. He was okay. No, he was not. But they did reform. Uh, eventually with a new singer they still I think they're still making music yeah it's just different but Alice in Chains one of the great bands to come out of the Seattle music movement known as grunge they were a little heavier though yeah there's gonna be a lot of kind of downers in this episode well it's about Seattle yeah and we're not gonna try to make it a downer show we're gonna bring it back up at the yeah end. we'll bring it back up kind of um, the best we can. Yeah. The best of our abilities. So, another huge grunge band was Soundgarden. I didn't like Soundgarden. Love Soundgarden. Um, I wasn't a huge Soundgarden fan. I liked their earlier stuff. Exactly. Their earlier stuff was, was a lot better. But, I mean, like, I wasn't... I mean, if you, if you, if you don't know already, um, Chris Cornell died... Right, it sucked because I did like Soundgarden, but I mean, I know a lot of big people. A lot of people were very heartbroken over it. Yeah, it was a, it was a very sad ending. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like you said, Chris Cornell, the uh, the lead singer and rhythm guitar player, I, uh, Kim Thale, guitar player, they are the only two members to appear in every version of the band. Um. Matt Cameron was the drummer, and eventually Ben Shepard became the the uh, bass player. And I think that the the, the, uh, the guitar player he had a we were watching when we were watching TV earlier. Yeah, he had that COC shirt on. Uh huh. You can hear a lot of COC influence in his playing. Yeah, yeah. And they had a harder edge again, just like Allison Chains did, but they had that that gloominess that was known 
in the Seattle bands, what became known as grunge. And Soundgarden is another band that really popularized the style of music just because of how different they were. Chris Cornell sounded like no one else in the world. His voice was so distinct. No, he had a great voice. Um, they actually kind of developed in the mid-80s. Uh, they were one of the first grunge bands to sign to Sub Pop. And what's his name that was on all the tattoo shows play with Soundgarden? Uh, Dave Navarro? Yeah. I don't think so. Or no, he was a Jane's Addiction. He was a Jane's Addiction and uh, Red, Red Hot, Hot Chili, Chili Peppers. Peppers. Then he got kicked out or he quit. So uh, they, they, they signed to Sub Pop, but then they also went to SST Records, which SST was a uh, California um, record label that was uh, formed by uh, uh, Greg Ginn from Black Flag. Oh, no shit. Now, which was another version of, I would consider Black Flag almost punk grungy. Yeah, they were punk, definitely. Uh, maybe a little grunge on yeah. the grunge tip. Um, the the albums that really kind of made Soundgarden, Louder Than Love, yep. and they, 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 the first one is called Ultra Mega Oh Yeah, it did not chart. Louder Than Love made it to 108 on the Billboard 200. That's still pretty good. But the third album, Bad Motor Finger, had the singles on it. It had Jesus Christ Pose, Outshined, and Rusty Cage. That made it to 39. Oh, nice. It was double platinum record. And then they had their biggest hit that super album. Unknown? A super Unknown. And that reached number one. It debuted at number one. Well, that had Black Hole Sun on it. That had Spoonman and Black Hole Sun. Well, wasn't Black Hole Sun a cover, though? Uh, I don't believe it was. I thought it was a cover. No, it was written by Chris Cornell. Um, and it's it's their most popular song. Somebody redid it then, all right. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Johnny Cash did it. Johnny Cash did Rusty Cage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did Rusty Cage. Uh, but what... When Soundgarden kind of started to change was on the Down on the Upside uh, album. They started to do new sounds. Uh, that's the one that had Burden in My Hand and Blow Up the Outside World. Yep. They were on their way up. And then they broke up because they couldn't decide what direction they wanted to go. They were exhausted from endless touring. So they took about 10 years off. Then they reunited in 2010 and released their final studio album called King Animal. So as of 2019, they had sold more than 4 million re- or 14 million records in the United States. Wow. 30 million worldwide. And VH1 said that Soundgarden was number 14 in the greatest 100 artists of hard rock. Nice. So they, I mean... Soundgarden, I mean, they're an amazing band. Well, Chris Cornell, he formed a super group, didn't he? Uh, Audio Slave. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, with uh, Rage Against the Machine. Now, Soundgarden, again, just like a lot of these bands, they jumped on the Lollapalooza tour. Um, They, around the time of Bad Motor Finger, they jumped on the Lollapalooza tour. They were nominated for a Grammy in 93. Um, I mean, they were... They were going. They were going places. But then they they, they ended up breaking up. Uh, 
unfortunately, uh, you know, like we said, Chris Cornell did pass away. Uh, that would be in... Uh, that was last year? No, it wasn't last year. No. It was uh, in 2017. Oh, wow. It's been that long. Yeah, 2017. Uh, Chris Cornell uh, took his own life. Uh, they had just... And, and the thing is, they just days before, they had played here in town. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to see where they were at. They were They were somewhere in Detroit, maybe? Yeah, they were in Detroit. And... He uh, he had been suffering from depression for years. years, and which is very very hard. I suffer from depression, uh, as do I. And you know, and this is a good time to say, you know, if if you do suffer from depression, know that you're not alone. Know that there's always someone to talk to. Reach out and talk to somebody. Talk to anybody. And then you got the suicide helpline. Yeah, there's a suicide helpline. You know, just just don't be alone. You know, don't think that you are alone. You're not. You're never alone. There's always someone there to talk to. Uh, and there's always someone there that cares. So mental health is something that is very important. So, you know, we can we can just kind of step up on a, a, on a soapbox right now and say that, you know. And use that to kind of drive, you know, a good positive message out of... All this tragedy, tra- yeah. You know, there's always someone there to help. We're all fucked up one way or another, and we all got each other's backs. That's right. We and we all have to. That's you know. So especially in the world today, man. Yeah. So you know, there's always somebody there. Reach out if you know someone that's suffering. Reach out to them. You know, just check check on each other. Go take over to their house, give them a hug. Yeah. So, what, what do you think about Soundgarden? I mean, I love Soundgarden, dude. Like I said, I wasn't a huge, huge fan, but I do like their music, and I did enjoy watching their, their, they had the craziest fucking videos. Love their videos, especially Black Hole Sun. Yeah. They're, it, it's almost lady, like a bad acid trip. Oh, dude. And the, the lady, the, I guess it was like the, the wife, when she starts smiling and her face just keeps going. Uh-huh. Oh my God, dude. Yes. It's so crazy. The old, the old man with the glasses, the blue glass, the round uh-huh. sunglasses, he's all sitting there telling you to come on. Yep. Yeah, they it was like it was like watching it was like watching a Tom Tom Perry or Tom Petty video on acid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. Good analogy. So, this next series of bands they're all related in in a very specific way. So we're gonna start at the beginning. They're all family. Well, kind of. We're gonna start at the beginning here and kind of work our way through, because this is a history lesson, you see, and it leads to. Some really cool bands, and probably the most successful band of the grunge era. Uh, so it starts with a band called Green River. Green River was formed in 1984. And they really didn't have a lot of success outside of Seattle. But they are considered pioneers of the, the genre of grunge music, even though grunge wasn't a thing yet. Uh they there are some familiar names in here uh namely well name the the biggest names in here uh Jeff Amett and Stone Gossard who went on to do something else later uh also uh Jason Finn 
who went on to drum for the presidents of the United States of America. Um, which presidents? Uh, the, the, the ones from the United States of America. Well, which ones? There's, yeah. there's been like 75 of them. I don't think there's been 75 presidents. I, I think there's been like like 14 or something like that. That works. Um, somewhere between 14 and 75. But so Green River didn't, they didn't really hit big. Okay, but they spawned when they when they broke up. She's low, she's low. Sorry. She's in my head. They they spawned. You know what? What? Almost peaches. Oh Jesus! Millions of peaches, peaches for me. Millions of peaches, peaches for free. Look out! Oh, a million peaches for me. Peaches for free. You know what? They come in a jar. They do not. They come in a can. That too. They put their bread man in a factory downtown. You think that was downtown Seattle? Yes, it was. Okay. Yes. And he wore a flannel shirt. <laughs> He's a lumberjack on the side. Yes. <laughs> so, Green River, they broke up. Like I said, the, you know, uh, President of the United States of America, they got their drummer from there. But there was a band called Mud Honey that formed in 88. And... Uh, the the singer, Mark Arm, the guitar player, Steve Turner, and uh, there was one other member I thought. Maybe not. Maybe it's just those two. Uh, they, joined, they, after Green River, they became Mud Honey. And they were on the Sub Pop label. Their debut single was called Touch Me, I'm Sick. And that was on their Super Fuzz Big Muff EP. Super Fuzz Big Muff. Yes. They really did not get the commercial success of the other bands, but they're a great band. Did they not have the look? Because that's a, that's a big thing right there, too. If you don't have that look, they're not going to fucking give you that big commercial success, like put you on TV, none of that bullshit. Well, and here's the thing. They... They were in the grunge movement. They were they had that sound and all that, but then people started to realize the members of Mudhoney actually graduated college. They were so not posers. They were not the blue collar. So they yeah they kind of got that that poser, you know, uh, kind of stigma around them. Yeah, but they were the flagship band of Sub Pop for for the beginning, and. Sonic Youth actually took them on tour in the United Kingdom. I like Sonic Youth. Well, they got most of their success in the United Kingdom. They were European success. Hamburgers. And they uh, they just never really hit big. They have an underground following. They are a great band. If you ever want to check out something that you... Sub pump haven't heard, you know, check them out. Uh, their second album is called Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge. And, uh, you know, yeah, they, they were... That's true. That is true. They just really didn't, they really didn't hit. But they're important because they are one of the bands that spawned from Green River. The other members, this word gets kind of confusing. The other members started a band that was a little more successful. It was called Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone. 
Let me get the uh, the members correctly. It was Stone Gossard and Jeff Amet, formerly of Green River. Remember those names because they're going to come up again. Some other folks and a singer named Andrew Wood. Now, Andrew Wood was an amazing vocalist. This guy was good. This band was, was awesome. Uh, they consider Andrew Wood to be the only stand-up comedian frontman in Seattle. No shit. He would, he had a good rapport with the audience. He would joke with them in between songs. They said he was just, you know, he was amazing. They signed to Polygram Records and they made a debut EP and it was, well, they, 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 they signed to Polygram, but it was like a subsidiary called Polydor Stardog. Okay. Okay. And by 89, they had recorded their debut album called Apple. Amazing CD. Amazing album. They have a song called Stardog Champion, which Stardog Champion is, I love the song. Love it. Uh they, I mean, they were going to be the big band out of Seattle. They, and they, they could have been if Andrew Wood hadn't OD'd on heroin. Oh, fuck. So they lost their singer. So they were kind of lost. Well, after, a few months after Andrew Wood had, had passed away, Chris Cornell approached the bandmates, uh, namely... Stone Gossard and, and Jeff yeah. Amet, and he wanted to. He well, and Chris Cornell was was Andrew Wood's roommate. Okay, he wanted to record a couple of songs that he had written in in tribute. So that became a supergroup of sorts in the Seattle area. Uh, and it was called Temple of the Dog, and they were good. I did like Temple of the Dog too. Amazing, uh, of course. Their biggest hit, Hunger Strike. Yep. Um, but they had a song called Say Hello to Heaven. Which was in tribute to uh, Andrew Wood. Uh, there was another one. They had another song. Uh, oh, they, they, they. There was another. There was another song that was in tribute to. Uh, to, Wood as well. But, Temple of the Dog. I mean, that was the band, and, like I said, it had Chris Cornell as a vocalist. It had. Stone Gossard and Jeff Amet, uh, both from Mother Love Bone. Um, a guy named Mike uh, McCready. And a fellow named Matt Cameron, who was in Soundgarden. Yep. And they went and found this vocalist to help him out. They needed some additional lead vocals. So they got this guy named Eddie Vedder. And Eddie Vedder, you know, very uh, heavily featured in the song Hunger Strike. Well, when Mother Lo or when Temple of the Dog released their album, they didn't really do anything with it. They put it out. It wasn't successful, so they just said to hell with it. You know, they all went their separate ways. Yeah. Chris Cornell went back to Soundgarden. The rest of the guys thought that it went well, so they formed another band, and they called that band Pearl Jam. So, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam. They didn't make it very big, did they? No, they really. They, I mean, they might have done something. I remember they. They. I remember one song they've done. Yeah, they, they. Yeah, 
So, Pearl Jam released the album 10. Their debut album. Which blew up. Oh my god, it was huge. Uh, but it was born out of Temple of the Dog, which was born out of Mother Love Bone, yep. which was born out of Green River. So Mother Love Bone and Mud Honey spawned from Green River, which in turn made Temple of the Dog, which in turn, turn made turn Pearl, Pearl Jam, Jam, which Pearl Jam, probably the most successful grunge band ever. Yeah. So and They're still around. Yeah, they are. Pearl Jam initially was named Mookie Blaylock. Well, I'm glad they changed that name. Mookie Blaylock was a basketball player. And they opened for Alice in Chains at the Moore Theater in Seattle. I don't think Mookie Blaylock has the the same uh, resonance or what's the word I'm looking for? Reverence, reverence, as the yeah. as the name Pearl Jam does. It doesn't come. It doesn't roll off the tongue very well. Well, Eddie Vedder has stated in uh, interviews, you know, or very early interviews, that the name Pearl Jam was in reference to his great grandmother Pearl, who was married to a Native American and had a special recipe for a peyote laced jelly. And that story went on for quite some time, until in two thousand six. In a Rolling Stone interview, when asked about it, Eddie Vedder said that story was complete bullshit. No shit. He had a great grandmother named Pearl, but they she didn't make no psychedelic. She jam. did not make psychedelic jam. I. Uh, it just got you really high. A couple of members, they uh, they came up with they wanted the name Pearl. They liked the name Pearl. And they... Something shiny. They kicked it around, and they finally... They attended a Neil Young concert. And... They came up with this jam, because... Neil Young would jam his music. Yep. And so it was like Pearl Pearl Jam. That's where it came from. So this backstory that they provided... Not true. Much like the entire grunge music movement made up. So, yeah, Pearl Jam, I mean... That's even better, dude. That's so funny. What do you say about Pearl Jam? Ten was a wild success. Justin's favorite band of all time. Uh, for a while, I loved Pearl Jam. I liked them. I just didn't... They weren't my style. Well, they... They've changed. Early Pearl Jam loved. Uh, their debut album, 10, which, ironically, 10 was the number that Mookie Blaylock wore when he played basketball. Oh, no shit. And Who did he play for? Uh, Probably Seattle. I, 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 I do not know. I could maybe find out. I mean, well, is that the Supersonics? I, I have no clue who he, who, he, who he played for. I'll look it up. Yeah, you, you can look that up. I... Uh, they had there was eleven tracks on ten, and they were very dark subjects like loneliness, depression, suicide, and murder. And they had several hit singles off of ten. Uh, the the biggest being Even Flow, Alive, and Jeremy. 
And they say that, you know, there are certain there are certain themes in the in this music that's very dark and very taboo. We're not gonna go into it because it's it's actually kind of some of it kind of sick. <laughs> you know? Uh yeah. Very uh uh, uh Oedipus Rex ish. Rex. E- Oedipus Rex. It's a Greek story. I've heard of it. I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look it up later. I'll tell you about it. Um, Mookie Bla- Blaylock played for the New Jersey Nets, Okay. the Atlanta Hawks, and the Golden State Warriors. Okay, so nothing to do with, uh, with Seattle. No. Now, the reason that they put 10 out is they wanted to tour. And they told the record company, we know we can get the audience out if we get the opportunity. So what do we have to do to tour? And he said, you got to put out an album. Yep. So they put out the album. They went on tour. The rest is basically history. Uh, they had verses, which, you know, well, other songs. I think listening to 10, almost every song on 10 could have been a single. Oh, yeah. My favorite song off of 10 is is black. I believe black was on. Was on ten. I'd have to listen to that song to see if, see if I know it. Yes, it's the the fifth song on ten. It's number five on ten. Um, if you listen to that, this is about the time CDs were becoming popular. Yeah, and you could push repeat. If you listen to that that uh, that album on repeat, on loop. It begins and ends the same way, with just kind of a jam, kind of a... Really? Yeah, kind of a weird jam. It begins and ends the same way, so when it would loop, it would just start over without ending. Start over, and it would it was... That's crazy. Yeah, and, and that was something that I'm sure they did on purpose. Oh, yeah. But something that was not really noticed with a cassette. It was that CD that yeah. looped it, that made it. It was just an experience. Well, you get, then when you came out of CDs, you had all the secret songs and stuff. Yeah, a lot like of them before had... Before you had secret songs, before the first song, you'd have to actually really, like rewind uh-huh. to get to that first song, yep. that secret song or whatever. So, um, they had verses, Vitality, or Vitology. Uh, vit, uh, which one was it? Verses... Versus was actually uh, set the record for most albums sold in the first week of its release. Oh, no shit. And that was held until 1998 when Garth Brooks put out his double live album. So Versus was the song, or the album, that had uh, singles Go, Daughter, Animal, and Dissident. Now, there are very few bands that really made as big an impact with their first two or three albums. Yep. Uh, they... Now, do you think any of these bands thought that they would get the stardom and just just the entire power that these guys had? No. I don't think that a lot of these bands did not think that they were even going to make it out of Seattle. Uh, honestly. they And you could tell because... By and large, 
these bands, once they got that taste of success, someone in the band would die. Yeah. They couldn't handle it. So they were not expecting it. See, that's the, see, and that's the difference between grunge and metal. Right. Metal bands, they don't die. They, they just sober up. Yeah, they, they sober up. They, 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 they're drinkers. They smoke weed. Well, except for, like, Nikki Six was addicted to heroin. Right. Uh, it seems like heroin was a major force, a major factor in grunge music. Which I don't understand. I mean, I get, because you're just trying to get away from everything. And that's what heroin does. It just... It makes you just black... Black out. Black out and, and just go to a, a, a euphoric feeling that crashes quickly and hard. Yeah. Uh, one thing that... Pearl Jam did, and I can I vividly remember this. They kind of took the Led Zeppelin route, where they really didn't care about the press. They ignored them. They just wanted to play for the fans. They wanted to do things for the fans. Well, and they did that whole thing with Ticketmaster. With Ticketmaster, yes, that was during the Versus tour. The band put a cap on their ticket prices. They did not want to have expensive ticket prices because they were trying to. They were trying to get to eliminate scalpers. Yeah. Okay. So they went to eliminate scalpers, and then they found out that Ticketmaster was adding all these service charges. They said, "To hell with you!" And they just started selling tickets on their own. Uh, you know, instead of going through that yep. that uh, service, and they were kind of a uh, I don't know, they were kind of a, a, a trust buster or whatever you call it. You know, to where. Everybody was going through Ticketmaster because you had to. Yeah. They stepped outside and said, we're not doing it. We're playing for the fans. You guys are screwing our fans. So screw you. Yep. And they actually refused to make music videos or release singles during that time. And they wanted all their albums to be released on vinyl. They wanted to kind of follow the, uh, the path of the who. Oh, no they were shit. the heroes. They released two or three albums a year, all on vinyl. Uh, I also remember that they found out that people were bootlegging their albums, so they started making their own bootlegs. They started making their own live albums, and they released tons. I had a couple of them. Really? I didn't know that about Pearl Jam. Yeah, they started to release like live from Berlin, live from Seattle, and they were just in a simple cardboard sleeve with a CD shoved in there. And the cardboard sleeve looked like it was not, but it looked like handwritten notes. There was no album art, no nothing. Just a brown cardboard sleeve. You'd open it up, there'd be a CD in there, kind of shoved in the side. Yeah. Uh, and it, I mean, that was very new and very different. So, Pearl Jam, they released Vitology. That became the second fastest selling CD in history. It sold. 877,000 units in the first week. Wow. And that is probably their most original album. Uh, but not, while it sold well, not a lot of singles. They weren't interested in singles. Uh, it did have Better Man and Corduroy on it, which got some success. Uh, all through the 90s, they kept boycotting Ticketmaster and they tried to make a movement, but no other band would join them. They were the only ones that did it. Really? Yes. And in that push, 
They said that they were so hard-headed that they pretty much killed their own career because they weren't going to go with the norm. Yeah. They weren't going to go with the establishment, and it cost them a little bit. Because you notice they, they, they kind of went away. Yeah. They fizzled. Uh, they also got an opportunity to be the backup band for Neil Young, and Neil Young was a big influence on them. They could not use their name anywhere, you know, saying, hey, it's Neil Young with Pearl Jam backing them. Is that because the record label? Different record label. Yep. So they could not, they could not do that. So they were credited individually on that album as the Neil Young band. Yeah. Pearl Jam still is around. They still do things. You just don't hear about it. They become one of those bands that they play for their fans and they don't give a shit. I'm about to listen to some Pearl Jam and give them a better chance. Because, I mean, back when they came out, like I said earlier, you know, it's grunge wasn't my thing. I was a big metal guy. Cover a couple bands that, you know, got cocked my, or got, got my interest. But, I mean, just listen to what you're saying. You know, these guys are actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah, so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna listen to them, give them a better chance. I'm gonna listen to some Pearl Jam, give them a better chance. And that's gonna be everything I hear. Just like that, it's all gonna sound the same to me. Give them a better chance. Is a better man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I know some. Yeah, Pearl Jam. But you know, Pearl Jam they've they have released and toured. Ever since their formation in about 1990, yeah. they've always been around. But after like Vitology, they just dropped off the radar, and just they're they're working for the fans, which very commendable. I know Vetter's he did he did some solo shit. Uh, because I remember it was a couple years ago he was on TV had a mohawk he was doing a tour. Yeah, I mean he they they've they've always done stuff and they they became very political and. and very, you know, they, they, they take up a cause and they'll do a, 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 a you know, like a fundraising single yeah, or something. They, they covered uh, Last Kiss for, I don't remember what that was for, but uh, it was a fundraiser. Um, and they, they did an Unplugged album, which was amazing. Uh, you know, they've always been around. They've, they've won awards. Rolling Stone has given them the top ten live acts of all time. Have they made it to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet? Yes, they have. Uh, they they constantly get awards, but they while they might accept the award or accept the accolade accolades, that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it for their fans. They their fan base has been compared to the Grateful Dead's Deadheads. Okay, where their fans might follow them from town to town. So, what are their fans called? Are they called them pearl necklaces? No, I doubt it. <laughs> I, I really doubt that. Uh, they have... Who's, who's the other guy that is like almost like got deadhead fans? Michael Bolton. No, 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 no. Somebody cool. Um, Jimmy Buffett. No, the other the other guy. He's He came out of that same era. Um, Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews. Yeah, I can't stand Dave Matthews. He's funnier than shit, though. I, I'm, I'm going to sing... I'm going to sing... Every Dave Matthews song ever. That's Dave Matthews. Did he sing Crash? Yes. That's the only one I know. Yes. Crash. 
into me. He's just, he's just a he's just a hippie band. He's a jam band. He's a hippie band. Uh, and nothing wrong with that. Pearl Jam played Lollapalooza in 2007. They they are a band though. If you were to see them, and this is my issue with a lot of bands. I'm there to listen to music being played. Yep. I'm not there to hear you talk. I don't care if I agree with what you're saying. I don't want to hear your politics. I don't want to hear you talk. Uh, They have become that band where they're going to make a statement. They're going to weave politics into their lyrics or into their stage banter. The only band that was able to do that, in my opinion, was Rage Against the Machine. Yes, and their stage banter was just angry. Uh, and there's been a lot of bands that had not, but did like political songs and shit like that. But if you listen to it, you didn't know it was a political song at the time. Right. It was just this great raw song, you know. Like, uh, like a lot of shit, like um, like Sacred Reich did. Yes. A lot of their songs are political. But you don't know it. No, unless you actually sit there and read the words or read the lyrics, and you're paying attention to what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. You really have to pay attention to a lot of it. But, I mean. Pearl Jam. I mean, they, 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 their their tour, their latest tour got postponed due to COVID. So they're still out there touring and making music and doing all this stuff. You can't say that about really any band from the grunge era anymore. No, they're not there. Most of them are shells of what they used to what be. they used to be because their members are dying. Yeah, so. I guess, you know, probably. I, mean, I you know I could say and you wouldn't really classify them as grunge, but Foo Fighters. Right? They've been around. I mean, they came around at about 94. Yeah. 2 years, 2 years after Nirvana. Yeah. And they've they're still touring. They're still around. But they just had their drummer, their drummer just died. You're right. So from uh, a heroin overdose. Yes. So, I mean, that that's out there another thing. If you're struggling with addiction, please get help. Because we like you and we want you around. Yes. And, you know, just just get help. Please, take care of yourself. We care about you. So, I mean, yeah. We, well, yeah, this is a big downer. You know, as we're going along here, it's downer, downer, downer. But listen to the great music that was put out. It's, you know... That's the legacy of these bands. A lot of their songs had a mes- had a message. It, uh, they had a message, and if you go back and listen to the words, listen to the music, and listen to what happened to these bands, take a lesson from it and take care of yourself, please. Wait, like you listen to like Man in the Box. That's a song about him being alone. Yeah, it's, he's he's in solid. Like he's got nobody around. Uh huh. It's like solitude. So, now you mentioned the Foo Fighters. So I think at this time, let's take a break. And come back. Because we've been talking for a couple of hours. And we will come back. We will talk about probably one of the hugest bands during the grunge era. Yep. The rise and fall of Nirvana. And then we're going to touch on to kind of bring it up. We're going to touch on a movie that was heavily influenced by Seattle, by the grunge music, and featured a lot of these people we've talked about in the movie. So, anything you want to talk about 
before we take a little break here? No. Okay, well then let's take a break and listen to some messages here, and we'll be right back. Play some music. Sure. After these messages, we'll be right back. Get a jump on summer with music, movies, and more at Camelot Music, like the new release from Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, specially priced now at all Camelot Music Stores. Right now, a special selection of Camelot Price Fighters. Cassettes 188, CDs 288, Laserdiscs 1488 at Camelot Music. In a world where you can take a stand in the fight against childhood cancer, Voices Against Cancer is coming to Sioux Falls July 9th at the Washington Pavilion. Meet face-to-face with celebrity film and voice actors from The Mandalorian, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, Naruto, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Transformers, Predator, Scooby-Doo, and so many more. To book your tickets for this event, go to VoicesAgainstCancer.org. includes no excuses take away their power and the strong get stronger the loud get louder electric become acoustic coming this fall nirvana unplugged only on mtv okay here's the biggest album in the world right now nirvana unplugged in new york 14 of their best performed live, plus six tracks never before released on CD. Discover what the world is saying for yourself. Nirvana, unplugged in New York. Don't be without it this summer. They call me Yuck Ma, cause I don't brush. Oh, I like my teeth like this. They call me Yuck Ma. No, I won't brush. How's about a little kiss? I got most beef in my teeth. Got some chicken, too. Ouch! That's a cavity. Hey, that's new. Well, if you don't brush your teeth, then get you, too. Can be a yuck mouth. Don't be a yuck mouth. Another nutritional message from the ABC Television Network. Black hole sun, won't you come? Wash Experience the super unknown with Soundgarden. Features Spoon Man and Black Hole Sun. Love is a game. You distinguish yourself by not calling her. Four days he needs to call me. Easy to start. It's a very nice hat you're wearing, and I don't mean that in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Hard to finish. Linda. Bye, Steve. I left my blue t-shirt at If you can't find love, you settle for sex. I'm on the bed right now, wearing something really outrageous. I think you got the wrong number, lady, but I'll be right over. In the absence of sex, you go for companionship. Uh, you want to get some dinner? Busy. Um, how about some lunch? Have a lunch. Coffee? Water? 
How about some water? Soon you're just happy to have a friend. You know, in the parallel universe, we're probably a scorching couple. But in this one, neighbors. Of course, you can't sleep with friends. Singles. You know I see other people still. You don't fool me. Bridget Fonda. We made the connection, and when you make the connection, it's like chemistry takes care of itself. I mean, it makes its own decisions, you know? Campbell Scott. I was just uh, nowhere near your neighborhood. Kira Sedgwick. Did I overreact? <laughs> Do you know who this is? Sheila Kelly. Could you seat me next to a single guy? I've got a special feeling about you. Jim True. And Matt Dillon. Janet, you rock my world. Singles. If I make this basket, that's fate telling me to call him. Wait, did no basket need call him or don't call him? Never mind. Directed by Cameron Crowe. Did you have a good break? I did. Good. I didn't do anything. Watched nice dreams. Yeah, I just watched a little Cheech and Chong that's on TV here. So, we can't really talk about the grunge music movement without talking about Nirvana. And Nirvana, Nirvana was my favorite band in high school. You know, my junior and senior year of high school, I, I would say. Yeah. I was all about... My, my senior pictures, I had a Nirvana hat on in my senior pictures. Oh, no shit. For some of them, yeah. Um, so, obviously, huge, huge uh, fan. And yeah, so was I. They were... I don't know. It was, it was very different. You know, even, even of the grunge music, they were different. And so let's just kind of talk about where they came from. Uh, Nirvana was formed in Aberdeen, Washington in uh, 1987. Now, the constant members have been Kurt Cobain as the lead vocals, lead vocals and guitar and uh, Chris Novoselic as the bass player. And then they had a lot of drummers. But the two drummers that are most closely associated with Nirvana is uh, Chad Channing and Chad Channing left the band uh, just before they hit big and Dave Grohl came in and uh, Nirvana kind of became the band for Generation X they became like the figurehead uh they still have a, a huge following. Oh, yeah. You know, they're still... For the the short duration of their popularity, they're still wildly popular. So, they were on Sub Pop. They released their first album called Bleach, which, if you've ever heard the, uh, the uh, MTV Unplugged album, yeah, it starts out with Kurt Cobain saying... This song is off our first album. Most people don't own it. I owned it. So did I. And it's amazing. It is... It, Bleach is a great record. And it had basically one that you one song you would kind of call a hit, and that was uh, About a Girl. Oh, yeah. 
And that didn't even gain popularity until the Unplugged album. And, you know, it's just like, you know, you look back on a lot of bands and the early stuff never gets noticed until they hit it big and people start digging back into and see what they had. What what did they do before? And then they go, oh, this is this is the best thing ever. Well, while it's good that they go back and discover it, had they discovered it back then, the band would have hit it big back then. Oh, yeah. You know. Uh, big, big time. Yeah. So the the Bleach record is the only record that uh, that Chad Channing appeared on. Now, interestingly enough, during the first few months of the band, they had a series of name changes. Uh, their names included Pin Cap Chu, Ted Ed Fred, and Skid Row. Skid Row was already taken. Skid Row obviously was already taken. Uh, they wanted a name that was kind of beautiful or, or nice, according to Kurt Cobain. Uh, they didn't want a raunchy punk band sounding name, so they found Nirvana. And they thought... This is where you find peace. Yeah, that, that's, what they, that's what they decided that would be, you know, their name. And kind of what they were going to hang their hat on. So, they they never really accepted Chad Channing as their drummer. They you know they went through a, a series of, of drummers that lasted a few months. You know they would get uh, they get thrown in jail or they would be too hungover or whatever. And finally, they 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 found Chad Channing, but they yeah, they never said, "Hey, you're in the band." They did record an album with him, yeah. but they never included him. He's just a studio artist. He was, yeah, he was their their hired gun drummer. Um, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins, another great band, yep. introduced them to Dave Grohl. And Dave Grohl was from Washington, D.C. He came, auditioned days after he arrived in Seattle, and they knew two minutes into that audition that he was going to be their drummer. And I think Dave Grohl's an amazing drummer. He really is. He's also an amazing guitar player. He is. Uh, he's an amazing front man. He's a well-rounded musician. He's very, very good. And Dave Grohl said that he had heard of Nirvana, but when he walked into the same room with him, his first thought was, what? This is Nirvana? you got to be kidding. <laughs> because on their record cover, they look like a bunch of psycho lumberjacks. But he, Dave Grohl, remembers thinking, this is just a, a little dude and this big, giant motherfucker. Yeah. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. Well, they kind of didn't think that they were getting a fair shake with Sub Pop. They kind of got, you know, disenchanted with them. So they wanted to go find a major record label to release something on. So they think Sub Pop gave them the runaround. Kind of, because they, they weren't getting the exposure that they wanted. So they went and talked to Soundgarden and Allison Chain's manager. Her name is uh, Susan Silver. And she introduced them to an agent. And uh, he was a, a, a music business attorney. He found deals for new bands. So he started shopping their demo tape around. 
And they went to uh, DGC Records, which DGC is is David Geffen. Okay. You know, it's it was Interscope, Geffen Records, A&M Records. Uh, Sonic Youth's Kim Gordon actually recommended uh, DCG Records. Well, the thing is, they were still under contract to Sub Pop. Nobody would buy out their contract. So they struck a deal. And the Sub Pop label had to appear on the Nevermind album. Cutting Sub Pop in on some of the royalties. Yep. Nevermind kept Sub Pop in business for decades because of the royalties. Wow. So Nirvana is indirectly, by leaving Sub Pop, responsible for keeping them alive. For keeping them alive. So it's kind of a happy accident, I guess. Uh, they released Nevermind, and that album went crazy. I can remember, I believe that is the first, uh, the first album of this genre to debut at number one. Yeah, because it smells like Team Spirit. As soon as they seen, as soon as kids seen that, I mean, and oh yeah, that that became an anthem for angsty youth. Um, and that song there single-handedly killed it kill, hair metal. It killed hair metal. Nirvana is cited as being responsible for killing glam metal and hair metal. Uh, which, for better or for worse, I liked it. Right. Was, I, was, I was watching an interview years ago, and I think it was Warrant. He was talking about because I think they were with Interscope. I think so. And he said, we walked in one day and... Our album cover, Cherry Pie, was right there in the office. Just big, giant poster. Came in a week later. Nirvana's Nevermind. And, and we were done. Yeah, you're out. And we had nothing else. And they really, I mean, a lot of these bands, of course, they're still around, they're still playing shows, but they never had commercial success. No, not like they Not like they, did not like they used to. Um, so, they... Uh, Basically, like Smells Like Teen Spirit was kind of a, they wanted a, you know, like a, a single. Yeah. And they didn't want to release it. They needed a, a name for it. So Teen Spirit was a brand of deodorant for, for young girls. Yeah. And so that's what they named. The, it has nothing to do with the song. No. That's what they named this and Team Spirit isn't even named in the song. Never. It, it has nothing to do with it. It's just, it was kind of a, a fuck you to the popular culture. Yeah. You know? But it backfired. They, Nirvana knocked Michael Jackson off the top of the Billboard charts. Michael Jackson, Dangerous was number one. And in January of 92, Nevermind was... Wow. They knocked Michael Jackson off the top. That's saying something. Yeah. it. I mean, really it did. They tried to tour, and they were so over that they just, they, they had to tour so hard that they became exhausted. They'd made one tour of the Nevermind album and said no more. Wow, uh, they they just couldn't they couldn't do it. So they had some initial t- 
turmoil in the band. Because Kurt Cobain claimed, which is probably true, that he wrote the majority of the music. And at first, they were splitting the royalties equally. Yeah. But then Kurt Cobain was like, this shit's taken off. That's my music. And he reorganized how their royalties were split. The rest of the band didn't object, but then Kurt Cobain said, I want this to go retroactive to the release of the album. And then the band nearly broke up. After a week of arguing, Kurt Cobain got retroactively to the release 75% of the royalties. Jesus Christ. That animosity and those bad feelings in the band never subsided till the end of the band. No. They did not get along for the rest of their time together. Uh, although, you know, they, they... I mean, they only made a total of three albums. Yeah. They had a few others, you know, but uh, as far as main, you know, main albums, they had Bleach, they had Nevermind, and In Utero. And In Utero. Um, they had some EPs. Oh, yeah. They had Incesticide. They had a live uh, record that came out called From the Muddy Banks of the Mighty uh, Wishtar or something like that. Um, oh, yeah. Which was really good. And then they did their Unplugged. They had the Unplugged album, which I, I played that thing. I, bur- I burned through CDs of that. Yep. Um, the Nevermind album, full of singles. Full of hit songs. Mm-hmm. And In Utero, full of hit songs. Um, they also did some some split albums with the Jesus Lizard. Uh, they... I, 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 what can you say about this band? When you listen to a Nirvana song, it's definitely identifiable. Mm-hmm. Even from the other music of the, the time, the other music of the genre. You you put on any Nirvana album, you know it's Nirvana so, without even looking. With the way they were, they were, you know, anti, we don't want to be popular, we don't want, you know, we just want to make music, we don't care about this, we don't care about that, we're not caring about the money, nothing like that. So, just what, from what you're saying, with him wanting all the royalties, so it was split 75% to him, mm-hmm. And then the other two had to split it, had to split 25% between the two of them. Right. That just tells me he was full of shit. Yeah, I mean, he he wanted the the song writing credit, which he wrote the music, he wrote the songs. He wanted everything plus his share, which when they divided it up... See, now I'm wondering if this is pre-Courtney Love... Or post Courtney Love, uh, she was yeah she, she was considered like the Yoko Ono, uh huh, and she was an actress, yes, and that's how she got her start. Uh-huh. She got she was in Sid and Sid and uh, Nancy, Sid and Nancy, and then they met and she started Hole, yes, and it, and it was kind of understood that she was riding on the coattails of Nirvana to make Hole, yeah. Uh, which I, I can't really argue with. Which she, she don't she didn't need she she had her own success, right? Yeah, she I mean she had her own career she she could have made it, but instead she 
broke up a great band. Yeah. Um, and and kind of drove uh, Kurt Cobain into the depression and you know all of that. Well, if you were married to Courtney Love. Yeah. Well, and there, and there was a time that I really liked Courtney Love. So did I. Um. So. The problem was, Kurt Cobain often was uh, was quoted as saying he didn't want to tour. There were times when he could he couldn't perform. He would be on stage, and all of a sudden he would just <coughs> walk off, and they would have to calm him down and get him back on stage because Anxiety. he would look out into the crowd and he would say, "Those people in that crowd are the people that used to beat me up when I was in high school." And if it wasn't the exact people, it was people just like them. Why are they worshiping me now? Yeah. I don't want to be worshipped. And he he didn't want to be famous. He just wanted to make music. And he made great music. So I could get you know, I can get that. You know, it's like y- you or someone like you hated me until I was famous. Mm-hmm. Now you're being phony. I'm not being phony. You're being phony. I can see his point. But the best revenge would be take their money. Yeah. Let them make you famous and take their money. But he, you know, he saw it a different way. Uh, which was, which brought him in him, his anxiety and depression and shit like that. He was, I mean, he was just mentally screwed up like the, like I said like the rest of us right and it also did not help that he had a huge drug problem um it, from what I understand he took about everything you know he was uh, I, I can remember just hearing the news stories of Kirk Cobain ODing on uh, sleeping pills painkillers and, and drinking champagne Some big champagne drinker I do remember that yeah and he would have to go through rehab. But if you watch some of the documentaries that have been made since then, he would go to rehab, he would be fairly successful until he started getting lonely. And the one person that he would turn to is Courtney Love. Who was also, she was already a heroin addict. And she was a heroin addict. So she, you know, he would break out of rehab, he would go to find her, she would shoot him up, and they were right back in the same boat that they were always well, see, in. See, they I remember they, the rumors. I don't know if it's true. Like he was shooting heroin straight into his stomach. I heard that. Uh, it, it, it's just truly a, a sad story because he, you know, he had so much talent and so the the mind for the the music and how to tell a story or how to create a song. I mean, if he could have got past his demons, oh, even if man. Nirvana broke up, because they broke up before he died. They were done. Yeah. If he could have got past all his demons, he would still be making music today. I guarantee it. Uh, uh, yeah, I can see that. Um, and, and it's a shame that we never got to know that. Now, I remember they played Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I remember that. And... They they never really wanted to play their hits. They wanted to play what they wanted to play. And they played uh, Territorial Pissings. Oh, yeah, that's a good song, though. And they they jammed it out. They were rocking. Uh, and that was the second song they played. So 
Coco Bean trashed the drum set at the end of the song. Just pulled it right out from under Dave Grohl. I remember that. And they got banned. Chris Novoselic threw his bass up in the air and intended to catch it. But he said when he threw his bass up into the air, the bright stage lights, he lost his bass. And he didn't see it until it crashed down on his head, knocking him out. Oh, my God. He fell to the ground and then kind of got up and he was all disoriented and stumbling about the stage. Uh, it made for a very memorable performance. And I, I believe that they were invited not to come back. Yeah. Um, it, they, they pushed the envelope for everything. They were asked to be on the popular MTV Unplugged. Yep. They refused to play their hits, which is what typically they would do. They would come on, they would play their hits in a stripped-down acoustic version. They refused to do so and maybe tell a story about it. Yeah. Instead, they played songs off of Bleach that no one had heard, and they made a point to say, no one's ever heard this. They played David Bowie song. They played David Bowie, which is an amazing song, The um, Man Who Sold the, uh, yeah. the World. And they played some Meat Puppet covers. They brought the Meat Puppets, members of the Meat Puppets out, and they played Meat Puppet covers. This is when, uh, this time, and the In Utero album, that they brought in a second guitar player, Pat Smear, who was with the band up until the end, I believe. Yep. I uh, also played with the Foo Fighters, which in the fallout of Nirvana, the Foo Fighters were formed and born. But, uh, you know, just like these other tales that we've told, the success kind of got to them. They, Kurt never wanted to be successful. He wanted to do his own thing. He couldn't handle it. He relied on drugs. He was heavily influenced by Courtney Love, maybe a, a controlling force in his life. Uh, and a lot of people say she had a big thing in him dying. Yeah. Like either she either she either, either she pulled the trigger. Yeah. Or she she coaxed him into doing it or yeah. or whatever. Um, she got all that. She gets all the royalty still. Her and her and the the, the uh, daughter Frances Bean. Um, I think she's a musician. She's a model. She's a model now. She's a musician as well. Um, I have a Frances Bean story. I think. Hold the thought. I gotta pee. Oh, he gets to play the potty song. Potty song. Hey, come on in. <laughs> now pull your pants down, bend your underwear, sit on the potty and pee, pee, pee. Pee slides down the potty. Okay, are you better? I'm better, and yeah, I stopped. I had to pee. 
And then I stopped and grabbed some cookies. Yeah, yeah I saw you brought some cookies. Um, so, yeah, my, my, I think I have a Francis Bean story. That's right. I'm not quite sure. Uh, so back in the... I don't remember if it was in the ending days of MySpace or the early days of Facebook, but I want to say it might have been MySpace. Uh, I was friended by an account under the name Francis Bean. And I thought, "Eh, cool, what if it is? And all of a sudden I get a message saying, hey, uh, I have a question for you. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? And she says, uh, I've run out of gas. Can you send me, can you Venmo me $50? No, 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 no. (laughs) She said, do you have a guitar? And I was like, um, yeah, I do. And she was like, can you play it? And I go, well, um, kind of. Why? And she's like, I was wondering if you would sell it to me. And I'm like, what? And she's like, I want to learn how to play guitar like my dad. And I was wondering if you could sell me your guitar. And I thought, this is bizarre. And she's like, I remember you've told me this. Yeah, she's like, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I need to buy a guitar. I can't find one. I'm like, you can't find a guitar anywhere. Whatever. You have a house. You probably have a house full of guitars. And um, this is around the same time that the uh, Kurt Cobain uh, MTV Unplugged guitar went up for sale. Yeah. And she's like, I don't have my dad's guitar anymore. I want a guitar. I want to learn how to play. And she wanted to buy mine. Well, she also wanted me to buy Kurt Cobain's sweater that he wore on the Unplugged album. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a bunch of bullshit. This is a scam. No. But I, so I'm like, I'm not, you know, I can't afford that. No. Well, still, will you sell me your guitar? I'm like, I'm sure there's a guitar you can buy elsewhere. Uh And that was about the same time that MySpace was verifying accounts from, you know, that's when celebrities were starting to get on. Yeah. That account got verified. Oh my God. I don't know if I don't know if maybe the process wasn't advanced enough to know that it was a scammer or if it was legit, but for a period of time I would get random messages at all hours of the day and night about the guitar or hey I did such and such. Hey, here's a picture. And it oh, would be a picture of Francis Bean. She's what, like twenty six now? Uh maybe older than that, I'm not sure. But it would be a picture like Hey, look, me and my mom went and got matching tattoos. And it would be a picture of, like, this tattoo. And then you would see, you know, of course the internet was kind of in its infancy. You would see a picture of Courtney and Francis with this tattoo. Yeah. But that's not the picture that I got. I got, like, a picture from a tattoo studio of, like, hey, here's my new tattoo. Yeah. And I'm like, this is weird. So I don't know if I was contacted by the actual Francis Bean or not. But I was contacted by someone claiming to be Francis Bean. And that's kind of cool. It could have been it. Yeah, get a little cookie in your mouth oh, there. I do, a cookie. Cookie monster. So, you know, I don't know. So that's my, my brush with Francis Bean, if it was a brush with Francis Bean. I don't know. I mean, that's cool if it was. But I was I was asked to sell a guitar to either Francis Bean or someone claiming to be. I mean, if somebody wanted to buy your guitar and you had it, and like, send me the money first, and then I'll send you the guitar. Sure. Yeah. And, I mean, there was you would have had to mail a check or a money order because there was no 
Venmo or PayPal. No, at PayPal the time. was there. Was PayPal yeah. there? Oh, maybe I just didn't know about PayPal. Uh, maybe it was only for like the the technologically advanced, which I definitely was. It's a lot easier to use now. Oh, definitely. But so, yeah, uh, Nirvana, uh, you know, tragically ended with with Cobain either taking his own life or uh, allegedly being murdered by Courtney Love. Um, lots of schools of thought on that. Lots of documentaries out there about that. And lots of... Uh, lots of people hate Courtney Love because of this. Well, th- there are also lots of things that point to him not doing it. Uh-huh. So, like like the, the size of the shotgun, there's no way he could have done it. Yeah, or the condition that he allegedly was in at the time, he would not have been capable of doing it. No. Or, I mean, you could expound on all the conspiracy theories and... Um, there are people much smarter than ourselves that are still trying to figure this out. See, that's the problem. They're smarter than us. Yeah. That means they're too, too damn smart to think yeah, logically. They're, they're not thinking the, the simple, Yeah, you know. So, yeah, who knows? Uh, all I know is that happened. I was uh, a senior in high school, and that fucked my world up. How old are you? I, I just turned 43. You weren't a senior in high school when he died? Yes. I was in junior high. 1994. I graduated high school in 94. So I was a senior in high school. Um, How old are you now? I am 43 years old. Or 46 years old. Okay. So you're 46. Not 43. 46. I forget how old I am. Okay. I just turned 46. So you're... uh, How old am I? Okay, so you're four years older than me. So yeah. I was in eighth grade. And you would have been a senior. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 When he died. Yep. It was was 94 because I remember... Uh, for probably the rest of that year, uh, my art class was a lot of Kurt Cobain, <laughs> uh, and, and, and others, you know, there were others that were, uh, doing Kurt Cobain inspired art. I just, yeah. I just remember it. Yeah. But yeah, that really, that tore me up. You know, my favorite band done Kurt, you know, found deceased in his home. Uh, really sad shit. And then. Two years later, when I was a sophomore, is when Foo Fighters came out. Yeah, uh, it, it was actually, it was formed, Foo Fighters, in 94. Um, oh, he didn't even wait. No. And I think that's one of the reasons I did not like the Foo Fighters at the beginning, because I was like, he's cashing in on Cobain to death. Um, and Novoselic and Dave Grohl both decided against Novoselic being a part of it. Um, they said that it, it felt really natural for them to work together, but it would be very uncomfortable for the other band members. Yeah. Because then it would be like, you know, oh, it's Nirvana Part 2. So it was just a fresh start. They did not team up again. And uh, so, yeah. And then... After, like in 97, uh, Novoselic, Dave Grohl, and Courtney Love, they did form a company called Nirvana LLC to oversee all Nirvana projects, such as the 45-track box set of rarities. Oh, wow. Um, But just before that was released in 2001, Courtney Love filed a suit to dissolve the corporation... 
and she filed an injunction that would prevent the release of any any Nirvana material until the case was resolved. She said that Cobain was Nirvana, and that Dave Grohl and uh, Chris Novoselic were the sidemen. See, this is the same. It's the same thing. It was our generation of the Beatles. Exactly. Um, she signed the partnership originally under bad advice. She said. So, Dave Grohl and uh, Novoselic countersued, asking the court to remove Courtney Love from the partnership and replace her with another representative for Kurt Cobain's estate. And before it was set to go to trial, they announced that they had re uh, reached a settlement, and the next month, the best of Nirvana was released, including an unreleased track called You Know You're Right. It was the very last song that Nirvana ever recorded. Really? Debuted at number three on the Billboard charts, and the box set called With the Lights Out was released in November of 2004. It had early demos, it had rehearsal recordings and live tracks, and then they made another album of selected tracks from that box set called uh, Sliver, The Best of the Box. So then... Courtney Love sold 25% of her stake in the Nirvana Sound Catalog, uh, and that was estimated at $50 million. Who'd she sell that to? Uh, that'd have been Dave Grohl. Primary Wave Music. A former CEO of Virgin Records bought that, and they, you know, Courtney Love said that Nirvana's fan base, she told Nirvana's fan base that the music would not be licensed to the highest bidder. She wanted to remain very tasteful and true to the spirit of Nirvana and take their music to places it had never been before. So she sold it to a record producer? She only sold 25% of her stake. Um, they released DVDs after that, in 2006 and 2007, including the full version of MTV Unplugged. Uh, they released... The Reading Festival uh, videos, live at Reading, along with a 20th anniversary edition of Bleach. Oh, wow. Um, and they also repackaged and released a deluxe edition of Nevermind for its 20th anniversary. And they did the same with In Utero. So, there have been reunions, uh, namely when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, Novoselic, Grohl, and Pat Smear they performed a four song set with guest vocalists they had Joan Jett they had Kim Gordon uh, from Sonic Youth uh, Lord and uh, St. Vincent and then they went ahead and performed a full show at a, uh, a bar in Brooklyn with guest vocalists oh cool so they, you know, and, and they, they acknowledged every member that had ever been in that band. So that was kind of cool. Um, it's just, you know, it was just a sad, a sad story, I guess. So any other thoughts on Nirvana before we move on and try to pick this up a little bit? No, I think it's they're one of the, one of my youthful favorite bands. Absolutely. <laughs> Beside me, like, to, to come out of that Seattle era. Yeah. I mean... Alice in Chains, in my opinion, it, 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 and this is my order, it's 
probably Alice in Chains, then Nirvana. Yeah, I would say, you know, Nirvana, uh, Pearl Jam, and then, you know, the big four. Yeah. You know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains are... I did like Candlebox, too. Yeah, Candlebox. I, I enjoyed Tad, the, the bit of exposure I had. Screaming Trees. Lots of great music that came out. Um, well, speaking of this great music, we'll move on to something a, a little, you know, pick-me-up. Uh, and you just watched this just before we started recording. Yeah. I refreshed my memory on it the other night. Was that last night? A couple nights ago? Probably. Um, when you told me to watch it? Yeah, when I told you to watch it. Um, <laughs> I'm always a couple days. you got to tell me something, then I'll do it a couple days later. Yeah, so I should have told you a week ago. I think I did, actually. So, that is the movie from 1992 called Singles. I got stuck watching The Umbrella Corporation last night. I know you did. We can't say that phrase anymore. Um, what, which phrase is that? You know. Great White Buffalo. Great White Buffalo. Great White Buffalo. She's not listening. Um, <laughs> so, Singles is... It's a romantic comedy, kind of a unique movie, and I remember just watching the shit out of this when it first came out. I liked. I thought it was good, man. The soundtrack was all amazing. the time. Great soundtrack. Honestly, a great cast. Um, the basic idea of this movie is it kind of centers around the romantic lives of a group of young Gen Xers that live in Seattle, right in the height of the grunge movement. So it took place in the time that it was released. Most of the characters live in the same little apartment building which they yeah. call they call the apartment building singles because they are single bedroom apartments. And this movie is divided into chapters focusing on two different couples and their trials and tribulations trying to have a relationship. Yep. The interesting part of it was that the actors very often would acknowledge the camera and the audience talking directly to They'd break the viewer. The fourth wall. They would break that fourth wall. They, they would, would Zach Morris it. Absolutely they would. And then they would then they would say, Well, see for yourself. They would kind of give you the introduction to the story, let the story play out, and then sometimes they would come back and they would say, Oh, but don't worry about that. Here's how it ended up. And it might be them telling the story as they showed clips of what happened. Uh, all-star cast, really. Bridget Fonda was in this. Um, Dylan. Uh, yes. Uh, Kyra Sedgwick. Um, Mrs. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Mrs. Kevin Bacon. Uh, Campbell Scott. Eric Stoltz had a, a brief cameo as a mime. Who was not very good as a mime. He talked. Yeah, he did. Uh, Eddie Vedder. Ed, well, yeah, all the musicians were yeah. in it. Eddie all of Pearl Jam was in it. Yeah, Pearl Jam was in it playing the band... That uh, Matt Dillon, Matt Dillon was, lead was the lead singer of, with Eddie Vedder playing the drummer. The band's name was Citizen Dick. Um, it had uh, Bill Pullman and uh, who was the other? Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven, yeah. And then, as well as musicians from Tad, Soundgarden, and Alice in Chains. Uh, Paul Giamatti had a very minor role in this. Uh, I didn't see Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he was in it. I can't remember what he played, but he, he was a very small role. Uh, oh, he was, I, I do remember what he was. There was a couple making out in the cafe. Oh, yeah. And he looked at him and goes, do you mind? 
I like him. He's so fucking funny. Uh, basketball player Xavier uh, McDaniel was in this. And uh, Tim Burton made a cameo. Made a cameo as a photographer. Or a videographer. I thought he was... You thought he was lead singer Depeche Mode. They, they looked exactly the same. I don't know if I've ever seen... I don't think I've ever seen them. What was... What, you wouldn't call Depeche Mode emo back in the day. It was... Uh, it was kind of like electronic. No, I mean, there was... Like, where the, 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 all the black and the makeup and... It was it was a gothy band. Uh, I would call it emo-ish. No, but emo didn't exist then. No, it was it was like they were synth pop, is what they were. Yeah. But they were a very gothic. I think gothic didn't exist then. Either. Really? Yeah. They they were like godfathers of. Oh that. God! What the hell's a word? It's uh. I can't remember, but Tim Burton was that style. Yes, he was yeah. all in black. Yeah, he, like he it's like you li- you start out this and you live long enough to become. Gothic, right? It was a, it was like a meme before memes were a thing. I don't remember that. Ah, what the hell is it called? I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, you know, I'm just gonna look that shit up. Well, they um, the the soundtrack was made up of a lot of the bands we we talked about. Uh, they some of them wrote because they had a fictional band. They were writing songs using the titles of the fictitious band. Okay. One of those songs, Chris Cornell decided, I'm going to write a song because of that title, and that was Spoonman. Spoonman was a fictitious song that was, it wasn't performed in this movie, but it was a fictitious song like on their album. So it was mentioned, and he wrote the lyrics to Spoonman. Uh, the hit song from Citizen Dick was a parody on the Mud Honey uh, song "Touch Me I'm Sick." Oh, they, they parodied it, and it was "Touch Me I'm Dick." Uh, they also took songs and like existing songs and reworded them, yeah, and used them on this fictional album, like the "Louder Than Love." They had a song called Louder Than Larry. Now, I enjoy it. I really enjoy this movie. And it brings back good memories of when I watched it. And, and me and one of my friends would quote this movie to each other all the time. And it wouldn't make sense to anybody else but us. So it was like our inside joke because we watched it. Anytime we'd get together, it's like, hey, you want to watch singles? Yeah, we'd watch singles. And she was a cheerleader. I was, a, you know, but she was, she was that popular girl cheerleader. But she was into the grunge music and all of that. Uh, those are those are my favorite girls. I was a grunge kid, so we got along, and we we would do things. Everybody thought we were dating. We we were not. We never dated. I had a crush on her, yes, uh, but we we never dated. Um, we really never had anything romantically tied, ever. But everybody thought, you know, we, we were the, those friends that everybody were like, you guys, I see you over your house every night after school. You guys are hanging out. Did you find something there? No, not yet. Oh, okay, okay. Except for they got Death Rock and Dark Wave. Now, interestingly enough, um, Campbell Scott played a character named Steve Dunn, one of the main characters. 
that was uh, that was in a, romantically tied to uh, Kyra Sedgwick's uh, character. Johnny Depp was offered that role and turned it down. His loss. Well, it would have been a different movie. Yeah. It really would have, and Johnny Depp and Tim Burton would have been working together, probably for one of the first times. But, you know, that is that. So, now shall we look and see if there's any, any trivia that we need to know about this movie? Because I'm telling you, the, the soundtrack, absolutely amazing. Um, Cameron Crowe was the, the writer and director, and Cameron Crowe also had a little... Uh, cameo in this as well let's see what we got going on here Cameron Crowe originally wrote this movie in 1984 and after Andrew Wood died who we know from the Mother Love Bone segment that was like six hours ago uh, Cameron Crowe no noticed that the Seattle music community was kind of coming together to help process that that loss of this prominent figure so he rewrote the script and changed everything from phoenix arizona where he had initially based his script yeah to seattle and the reason that he wanted to put it in seattle you know in addition to uh this tragedy was he had used seattle as a backdrop of say anything just oh, a couple yeah. years before and Say Anything featured a Mother Love Bone song on its soundtrack called uh, Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. They also used that song. Hold me closer, Chloe Dancer. No, that's not it. I could be. They use should that, be. They used that same song in on the single soundtrack. So, um, I couldn't find anything, dude. I don't know what the hell 80s goth, like the Cure and shit like that were called. Oh. Yeah, I have no idea. I thought it was called something else, like mods. Yeah, that could be. The uh, courtyard fountain that they used, that kind of based a lot of their interactions around, made completely out of styrofoam. No shit. Yeah, that was a that wasn't actually a courtyard. No, it, it was <laughs> still it, it was an actual uh, movie set. It, well, no, it was an actual um, apartment building. They they used. The apartment building, but it did not have that fountain that they wanted, so they made one. Oh, shit. Styrofoam. Alice in Chains played in the, in the bar, and they refused to lip sync or do playback. They performed that live. live. Nice. Now, there's a lot of scenes based in a coffee shop. So, the I, I kind of draw comparisons to this movie to the TV show Friends. Okay. And... I believe Friends came out in the mid to late 90s. Mid 90s, yeah. So this could be a precursor. I don't think it, they had one had anything to do with the other, but... But it could have been an idea. It could have been an idea. Um, so Chris Cornell... Very young Chris Cornell. I mean, young. everybody looked like babies in this. Oh, man. they and did. They did. You wouldn't even recognize some of them. Uh, Chris Cornell had heard Smashing Pumpkins... And he recommended that Cameron Crowe use a song. So, you know, he Cameron Crowe listened. He really enjoyed the band. So he asked if they had any new songs that they could sing or, you know, provide for the movie. And 
they used their song Drown. And it was the last song on their demo. That's the one that got used. And basically, it was the, uh, the, the finished track that they actually used on their album was from this, this, uh, this movie. No shit. Yeah. I like old Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah. I didn't care for, like, I, I, I like their first two albums. I think, I don't even know how many they made. They, uh, they're still making music, I believe. But it's not even the original band. And I like the way the original band played together. Interesting. I just mentioned this. Warner Brothers wanted to turn singles into a television series, but Cameron Crowe refused. So, a little while later, Cameron Crowe saw on The Hollywood Reporter that his film was going to become a TV show from David Crane and Marta Kaufman. They are the people who ended up making friends. No shit. Cameron Crowe tried to stop it, but NBC went ahead with their idea, incorporating many of the elements of the movie, movie singles into the TV show Friends. Cameron Crowe said in a Rolling Stone interview in 2017, his mother still says, you really screwed up on Friends. All you had to do was say yes, you'd be living in a castle right now. And Cameron Crowe said, I don't need to live in a castle. I'm happy I made the choices I made. But in my mind, at least, you can partially draw a line from the genesis of Friends to this little Seattle film. Dude, I could see that clear as day. Well, yeah, and it's, it's weird that I mentioned it. I hadn't read this yet. It's weird that uh, that I, I, you know, I drew that a comparison and boom, right I mean, there it he's was. He's obviously not doing bad for himself. No. He's done other shit. The reason Johnny Depp turned down the role, he was uncomfortable saying, I love you on screen. Really? Yeah. Huh. Very, very interesting. Eddie Vedder pulled double duty. He was the drummer on screen in Citizen Dick. Yeah. And he provided the vocals for any Citizen Dick song. Oh, no shit. Yes. And this film was already in production when the Seattle sound became popular. Many people thought that the the uh, the movie was made because of the so it just happened. They it happened just so time. happened to coincide. Um, the film began production in '84, but it got delayed. Got delayed. Then it got switched to be in Seattle, and so happened that the grunge movement took off. Yeah, it started in '84. Well, yeah, he, and it was based in in Arizona. Yeah. So, but he changed it, you know, because it got delayed so much. I mean, that works out. I mean, it worked out. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a great it was a great uh, coincidence, I guess. But yeah, the soundtrack amazing. Nirvana was supposed to be on the soundtrack, but they they backed out. Um, they didn't want to be famous for that, or they didn't want to be part of that. Yeah, and they were working on it, working on it, and Cameron Crowe sent a video cassette, and Kurt Cobain was in Hawaii, and. Years later, Cobain went to the uh, premiere. He snuck in through the back door, watched the movie, and snuck back out. That's funny. Um, Cobain thought that it that uh, it was, or uh, Cameron Crowe thought that it was pretty cool that Kurt Cobain came in. And uh, before the movie was released, Nirvana told MTV that they turned down the movie 
because it was just a love story that takes place in Seattle, and they didn't like rock and roll movies. Jennifer Jason Lee was initially supposed to be in this film. Um, they wanted to name the film Come As You Are after the Nirvana song. Oh, no shit. Yeah. That'd be cool. Matt Dillon was supposed to play the part of Steve, but he turned it down. He got the uh, part of Cliff. He looks like a Cliff. He does look like a Cliff. Um, what else do we have here? Jodie Foster and Mary Stuart Masterson were also considered for the role of uh, of Linda, who I believe was played by Bridget Fonda. Very wonderful. Jodie Foster would not have, that wouldn't have worked. I think Jodie Foster and uh, and Bridget Fonda look a lot alike. They do, but Jodie, I just, I, she doesn't have that same appeal. Mm, yeah, I could see that. I can see that. Um, Plus, she was doing Silence of the Lambs around the same time. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, well, there she was. You can't go, Dr. Lecter, and then say, I'm so depressed I'm single. No one wants to sleep with me because my boobs are small. That's what she said. She could sit on Matt Damon, or Matt Dillon. She could sit on Matt Damon, too, like... Are my uh, boobs big enough? For I'm sure. You? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure Matt Damon wouldn't uh, wouldn't object. You think Matt Matt Dillon is a bargain basement Matt Damon? Possibly. He's like the Kmart version, just taller, better looking guy. Yeah, that's possible. Kind of like the GoBots. They're taller, better looking toys. Yeah. Let's 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 see how what the reception was of this, and then we can ramp this up. Oh, Your favorite, my favorite part. part. I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready for this. Let me get a drink. Singles. My, my throat is going to get dry. Get here. your slurm there. Singles has a 79% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. 7 out of 10 It's it's uh, is the average rating. That's not bad. I'll take that. The critical consensus reads, smart, funny, and engagingly scruffy. Singles is a clear-eyed look at modern romance that doubles as a credible grunge-era time capsule. All right, what did my arch-nemesis... Roger Ebert was very complimentary, giving singles three out of four stars, declaring, It is not a great cutting-edge movie, and parts of it may be too whimsical and disorganized for audiences raised on cause-and-effect plots. But I found myself smiling a lot during this movie, sometimes with amusement, Probably sometimes he didn't with recognition. Understand any of it? No. Sometimes with recognition, he he did. It's easy to like the characters and care about them. He was very complimentary. He's still a dick. Uh, Tim Apollo from Entertainment Weekly said, "I uh, had a naturalistic style, and Crow captured the eccentric appeal of a town where espresso carts sprout on every corner, and kids in ratty flannel shirts can cut records that make them millionaires." Uh, the Seattle movie The Stranger was less kind to the use of the local background, reviewing he's relying on the general hipness of our little burg and on the star power of a few local musicians and bit actors to make a bundle of dough, and he hasn't bothered to back them up with anything worth remembering. Pleasant is about the only word I can think of to describe this thing. Who's this clown? Uh, this clown, it was the uh, the Stranger. It's a Seattle... Uh, 
newspaper, the alternative Seattle newspaper. Oh, they're just, they're just, they're, they're what is that? They're just, they, they're anti, anti-popularity, good stuff, good feeling movie guys. Yeah. Um, they're a local newspaper who doesn't mean anything. Right. And uh, Warner Brothers liked it so much they stole the idea, made it into Friends. And on July fifth, two thousand fifteen, there was a public screening held in the courtyard of the uh, the apartments that were used. And Are there that, like thirteen people in there. Well, it was it was attended by over a thousand people. Wow, they got a thousand people in that courtyard. Yes, wow. and the, the landlord was very concerned, but the event went smoothly. The crowd was respectful and cleaned up after themselves. Reports of Bridget Fonda being in attendance were false. Ah, uh, it was her aunt Jane Fonda. Her Aunt Jane Fonda was there? Yes. Like, I've never seen this movie. My niece was in it. I better go check it out. But in the soundtrack was a bestseller three months before the release of the film. Uh, Pearl Jam had a couple unreleased tunes on there. Uh, it had Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden. It had uh, Paul Westerberger of The Replacements, The Smashing Pumpkins, and Screaming Trees. It was definitely, definitely... A very good soundtrack. And it was a soundtrack that was in regular rotation for my yeah. 90s listening. Up until I had this huge party and it got stolen. Oh, them sons of bitches. Yeah, that party was epic, though. Um, yes, very epic. Very epic. Very epic. Very People very still talk about this party. Very epic It was party. amazing. I'll tell you the story sometime. It was a very epic party. I may have already told the story, but I'll tell it again sometime. You're fine. I yeah. believe you. Yeah. You probably will, and I know you will, because I'm going to ask you about it. Yeah. So... You just watched this film. What what did you think of it? I really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was very well done. Um, like I said, the, the soundtrack was amazing. Just listening to the music, I mean, it was really good. You know, just take me back to when I was a kid. Sure, yeah. Uh, seeing some of these, something seeing some of these musicians that were in this and some of the actors, I just it's hard to believe that they were ever that young. Yeah. Because when you're a kid and you're, you're listening to these guys, you see what they look like. You're like the this guy's in his 20s or 30s, and you're, you're 12, 13, 14 he's years old. old. He's a fucking old-ass dude. I mean, these guys, they look like babies. Yeah. And they look, it gave me a, a different look at some of these bands that I didn't really care for, like Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. And see how these guys actually, how they could have actually been in real life, and makes me want to give these guys a second chance, or a fourth chance. Yeah. You know, and check out some of their stuff that I've never heard. It, but I thought it was a I thought it was a really good movie. It, yeah, it was a great movie. When I uh, was watching it yesterday or the day before, whenever I watched it, um, I found myself uh, you know smiling, remembering. I miss the styles. Oh, so do I. So do I. And I still wear some of them, but I really do. But yeah, I mean, just look at the styles, the way the guys are dressed, the girls are dressed. I mean, I was like, dude, that's takes me right back to high school. Uh huh. It reminds me of when I bought my first pair of Doc Martens. Uh, it, you know, I've never owned a pair of Doc Martens. Oh, they're great. You should get a pair. Um, they're still awesome. I just, I, I remembered. I've always had big boots like these. Yeah. Got, got big boots. I got big boots. Those are, those are called kickers. These are, these, are my, these are my fucking shit kickers. That's, that's grunge speak. They're kicks, kickers. These are my kickers. Um, my big boots. You know, watching this movie, it made me smile because I remembered kind of where I was at in life. I, you know, I was pretty, pretty, you know... Pretty happy back then, you know. I was, I was doing all right. I was uh, not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 seeing the opening scenes, I saw landmarks 
from Seattle. That made me smile remembering the times that I spent there, um, the times I vacationed there and enjoyed. Um, and I thought back to being that, that grunger kid, mm-hmm. you know, where I would, you know, constantly have a stocking cap on my head, which I still do. I, I would constantly be in shorts and combat boots, which I still am. I do that too. Uh, I had I had hair one length with the undercut, and it was down to mid mid chest, and I would use like two bottles of Lucky Tiger lanolin hair oil. Oh my god! To dude. make it look greasy, so I was a true grunge kid. That was when I was in my semester of greatness in college. Um, yeah, I would I, my hair would be dripping grease. Two bottles of Lucky Tiger lanolin, um, hair. You know the the, the hair. How did you, how did you like not just break out in like zits and everything? I'm sure you, I did, but I had hair in my face. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, um, even when I had long hair, I kept it pulled back. I would keep it pulled back sometimes, but sometimes I just wear it in my because face. Because you you seen me with long hair. Yeah, you, so when you I wore it on top of your head, I did. And when I don't put it in or put it like in a ponytail or in a or a, a bun or a nub, yeah. It would just poke out, and I look like Krusty the Clown. A nub? A nub. You were a nubhead? I had a nub. I always put it on the top of my head, not on the back. Nubhead. I put it on top, and that's why they call me a troll at the gym. That's why they call you a nubhead. A nubhead. Nubhead. You nubhead. That's a that's one of them grunge words. Yeah, that's our that's our grunge speak. Nubhead. Nubhead. What's that mean? It's got a nub on his head. Yeah. So, anything else you want to close with about the '90s, about the grunge movement, about singles? Any of the bands we talked about? I think a lot of the music from the 90s, early 90s up until the late 90s, is some of the best music out there. I agree. I really liked that movie. I really, really liked singles. I would, if, I had to, if I had to rate it, which we're still in the process of doing my film critic review, yes. gonna, I have an idea about this. And I'm just going to say it. It's gonna, I, in my head, I picture it as... Peter Griffin's What Really Grinds My Gears. Okay. And something else we haven't even thought of yet. Okay. But that's where, because you've seen me get excited about this. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of where it goes. Not on purpose. You're just going to rant about shit. Yes. And I'm going to egg you on. Yes. Okay. And this is going to work. But if I had to write this singles movie, I would probably say I would give it probably an 8 out of 10. Not bad. Just because, I mean, because of the soundtrack, the actors in it, the way everything was presented, the way the movie was done. And it, much like they have said, it holds up as a time capsule of the 90s, the early 90s. Yeah. It it hits everything. And it just shows how people interact with each other. I love the movie, and looking back on it, very nostalgic for me. But like I said, it was one of my favorite movies and it had, back then. it had the greatest intergalactic pilot Ever. Yes, it did. Lone Star. And he played a plastic surgeon that did breast enhancements. Yes, on a very old computer. Very old Which they didn't have that technology, I don't think, back then. So that was some Hollywood, Hollywood boobs. You know what that scene reminded me of? Weird Science. It did. Yes. I think it was probably a a homage Homage to to Weird Science. Yeah. So, anything you want to wrap up with? No, I think we're good now. I think think we're great. So, uh, for the retro... Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. We did... We brought it up earlier. We'll bring it up again. Yeah, mental awareness. Oh, yeah. And suicide prevention. Yeah, and, and addiction. If you're having trouble, reach out to someone. 
please reach out and uh, and take care of yourself because because we care about you. Yes. So. And if you need a hug, let me know. I will come give you a hug. He's a great hugger. I like. I give good hugs. He does. I mean it. So, for the Retro Renegades Pop Culture Power, I'm Mikey. I'm Corey. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye, Corey. Goodbye, Corey. You nubhead. You nubhead. <laughs>